This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Ah, we have reached a happy hour Friday right here on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. We came equipped. How you be? How you be? Yes, it's me. I'm your host, Mike Gill, Josh Henning, producing today's show. You out there, we got a ton of discuss today on the show. Nuggets up two games on the Lakers. We'll get into that a little bit later on, but got game two tonight in the East. Sixers news today. We'll continue to look at what's going on in the offseason, which it almost seems like the breadcrumbs just keep getting laid out for us. One by one by one. Here we go. James Harden news. Keith Pompey from the Inquirer. Looks like Harden's going to sign with the Rockets, according to Keith Pompey. That we kind of know. We'll get into some more details as we get ready to flow on a Friday edition. Flow, flow, flow. Here we go. Happy Hour Friday. I got tickets to give away on a Happy Hour Friday. You know the drill. Let me know where to go, what you got on this Happy Hour Friday. Text me up, 609 403 0973. What are you having on a Friday? It's a beautiful day down the shore. Give me something good this weekend. Last Friday was kind of like a blah because the Sixers had lost game six. You guys didn't give me skedaddle last week. Buckus, you guys were beat last week. I expect a full-fledged party today on the Sports Bash with the Cubbies in town. It feels like we're in Wrigleyville, baby. Let's have a little fun. Let me know what you're having. Let me know where to go. 609-403-0973. We got tickets to give away for the Happy Hour Friday show. I'll give you the details on that in just a little minute. But, you know, this James Harden stuff, I'm like back and forth. I don't know where you guys stand on this. And here's why I'm back and forth. There's... What Daryl Morey laid out the other day, it is not a great scenario to be in. Scenario A, we bring James Harden back. Scenario B, we let him walk and then we think we have the tools to get better. I don't see those tools. So if you ask me, what do you prefer? I'm ready to move on from James Harden because I think he's a loser. Not as an individual person. I don't know the man personally. I'm talking about as a player. I'm talking about as a competitor. He's not a loser in terms of, well, I don't know. Did he quit in the, on the team in game seven? I think he's just a losing player. When I say a loser, he's a losing player. He's a guy that the moment's too big for. And that's okay. He could still be a great player. But in that moment, I don't want him on my side. I don't want him hip-to-hip with me when I'm walking through and I need someone to be there for me. That's not the guy I'm going to battle with. And according to Keith Pompey, the Inquirer, league executives believe that James Harden will sign with the Rockets this summer. Of course, we've been hearing that since Christmas. And at first, we kind of laughed at it. We scoffed at it, right? (laughs) Why would he want to go to Houston? What sense does that make? But guess what? If you go to Houston... You can hide from game sevens because you ain't getting to them. You go to Houston. Listen, the Rockets have been tanking for a couple of years now. 
Do the Rockets, who have been tanking for a couple of years, have some young talent on that roster that maybe can propel towards a playoff berth next year or the year after? Yeah, maybe. I mean, they've been picking first, second, third, it feels like, for the last five seasons since Harden left there. Maybe three seasons, I guess. But keep this in mind. The Pompeii report came out last night. It comes two days, actually it came out this morning. Last night, Pompeii reported that the Sixers are going to meet with Nick Nurse about the head coaching vacancy. More on that coming up. But the Pompeii report, let's put the timeline together here. It comes two days after Bleacher Report, we told you on the show, said that Harden's going to opt out of the deal. So that was strategically released at the time that Daryl Morey is having his press conference. What was the other press conference that happened? Harbaugh, when he was having his press conference, and in the middle of the press conference, basically Lamar Jackson said he wanted to be traded. Well, Lamar Jackson is back in Baltimore. Will James Harden be back in Philly? You know, all the executives are saying two days ago, James Harden is expected to opt out of the final season of his contract so he can become a free agent. That's no surprise. But now the league executive believe that James Harden will sign with the Rockets. Okay, we've been hearing this since Christmas, but keep this in mind. Haynes reported that Harden wants a competitive roster and basketball freedom in his next stop. Here's the thing. The Sixers have a competitive roster. The Rockets, quite frankly, do not right now. The basketball freedom part is what we need to zone in on. I don't know what Adoka would plan on doing with James Harden. He's the new head coach in Houston, correct? Mm -hmm. Where was Ime Adoka before that? He was in Brooklyn when James Harden was there. He was an assistant coach on Steve Nash's staff before he went to Boston. So maybe Harden knows Adoka and says, hey, we've had a lot of talks. We were both frustrated with Kyrie Irving being there. And Odoka has told me, man, if I ever got my hands on you by myself, you would be my ball-dominant guy just like you were in Houston. I have no idea. But that's what the situation is in Houston. They got a, a lot of young players. The question with Houston, and I don't know that this even matters for James Harden right now, the question for Houston is they've been bad for – Probably three seasons now. They've been drafting pretty high in the draft, right? Do they have that player, though, that is the standout guy? Do they have that guy that they've gotten at number one, number two, number three, wherever they've been picking in the draft? I'm not quite sure. I think Jalen Green was their pick last year, was at number two, I believe. Was it last year? No, it was the year before. Jalen Green is in his second year. They got him at number two, and he's a pretty good player. He scored 22 points a game last year for the Rockets. So they've got green. Now, you bring in James Harden. What does that mean for Jalen Green? Jalen Green is kind of an undersized off guard, right? They've got just so many of these guys down there. You got Jabari Smith. You drafted him last year, number three overall. He had a nice year, 13.7 rebounds. So now you got Jabari Smith. You got Jalen Green. You've got a lot of young players that have been drafted pretty high on that team with the Rockets. 
they got a couple other guys on that team that are, um, you know, Kevin Porter scored about 20 a night. He was a first round pick. I don't know where they picked him, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, what's that? They did. Well, he was a first round pick. I'm saying, I don't, I don't said, I don't know where they picked him. I wasn't sure where they got him, but, uh, he was a first round pick from somebody. Um, so they got a lot of young talent on that team. The question will be, when you look at the reporting, and we're breaking it down, the basketball freedom in the roster. If I'm the Houston Rockets, and I got all those young players on my team, do I want James Harden pounding the ball on the floor and being basketball freedom James Harden? Is he going to change his name too? Right? What was... (laughs) What was the guy's, uh, Ron, Ron Artest was who? Metal Met, World Metal Peace. World Peace. That's right. James Harden wants to become basketball freedom. <laughs> I mean, if I'm the Houston Rockets, this just doesn't make sense to me. I go back to Christmas Day when the report came out about Harden wanting to go there, and the intuition was, why would the Rockets want him back? What sense does a 33-year-old James Harden make pairing with the guys that I just talked about? Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Now, here's the other problem. Unless you said, hey, we want to bring a veteran player in to be around these guys. Yeah, great. But is that the veteran player you want to bring around those guys? What, do you want to try to keep the gentleman's club in business down there? He'll bring the whole team? Are you kidding me? (laughs) So, Houston sounds like every executive believes this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. But I go to the basketball freedom line, and that's where I come back to Philadelphia. And you might say, what are you talking about? Everybody thinks he's going to Houston. It's been talked about since December. He wants a competitive roster. That roster is not competitive right now. We all know that, right? I mean, the Houston Rockets have a lot of young talent, but let's be honest with ourselves. Right now... They won 22 games. Now, I guess you can make a case, okay? We could play the comparative game. The Philadelphia 76ers won 2019 games. What was it in their last year? No. They won 20. What was in Bede's rookie season? He got hurt. He played like, you know, half the year. You mean the first year he actually played? Yeah, he got hurt and he, he played like, 30 games. 30, year. whatever it was. But that year they won like 24, 25, 26 games. 28. 28 games. They went from 28 wins to 52. Correct. They got Ben Simmons, J.J. Redick. They added a veteran player in Redick. They drafted Ben Simmons. He had missed the full season. And remember, Sarge came over that year for the first time. But Sarge had played the year before. Right, but that was part of the whole, you know, Right, they had Embiid and Sarge. They won 28 games that following season. Right, they signed Redick. They signed Redick, and they got Ben Simmons. Right. And so they went from they 28 games right. to 52. So can the Rockets say, hey, look, we got these young players. We need our J.J. Redick. We need our – and not to mention, by the way, the Rockets have another high draft choice this year. Where are they drafting? I mean, the Rockets have to be drafted, I would imagine, in the top five with 22 wins. They have to be probably in the top five. So you're going to be adding another player into the mix. They're drafting number four. Okay. So this number four player who – actually, they're drafting number two. No. 
They're drafting number four, you're saying. That's so if you're drafting number four, you're getting like a Scoot Henderson or an Amen Thompson or a Jairus, um, Jairus Walker. Um, well, you know, you're getting a nice player, right? That's your Ben Simmons. Is James Harden your J.J. Redick? Now, Harden's probably better than Redick is, but I'm just saying the veteran player that is goes with all these young players and kind of helps them go from 28 wins to 52 wins. They had 22 wins last year. Can adding James Harden and pick number four help them go from 22 to, say, 50? Maybe. Maybe 48? Something. I mean, do they go from being a lottery team to a playoff team just by adding pick number four and James Harden? So, that's the competitive roster part of the of the report. The other part of the report is basketball freedom. Well, basketball freedom, we don't have an answer to that question with Philadelphia right now. They don't have a coach. Correct. I can't say he's going to have basketball freedom if I don't know who's coaching him. But Houston has a coach, as you mentioned earlier. Houston has a coach. So I don't know what Adoka's – I mean, let's say this. He was the coach in Boston. I wouldn't say that – I mean, Jason Tatum had basketball freedom to some extent. He's the guy there. Would – Ime Adoka come in and say, hey, I got all these young players. I got guys who can score, young players that can put the ball in the basketball. But I'm going to let James Harden come in here and, and take over this offense. I don't know what his mindset would be. Only Harden knows that answer, I think, if Adoka, Adoka would be um, a basketball freedom type of coach for him. But I think the point you made earlier, Mike, is very important. That they already know each other. They've already worked together. Oh, sure. I said only Harden knows the answer to that question. But to me, I think that's the that's the pivot. It, it's people keep talking about oh, his mom lives down there. He's comfortable there. But at the end of the day, like you said, that basketball freedom part that points directly to the head coaches. Because at the end of the day, and I'm going to say this as delicately as I can, Harden is an odd person. He's not your normal, average, regular NBA player. So he doesn't look at the world and the game the same way regular players do. You know, his his attitude and his mannerisms toward the game are very odd. So for all we know, he thinks basketball freedom is not being in Joel Embiid's shadow or it's, you know, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna be the, the man to lead the young Rockets to the postseason or whatever he thinks. Because, you know, to him, maybe freedom means differently than what you and I think. Well, here's what I got. The Sixers don't have a coach. He says, I want basketball freedom. That's a direct message to get back to Philadelphia. You want me? This is what I need. And we know Mike D'Antoni's name has been in the mix. Let's ask everybody out there listening today. Is Mike D'Antoni more accomplished than Nick Nurse? No. Is Mike D'Antoni more accomplished than Mike Budenholzer? No. Is Mike D'Antoni even more accomplished than Monty Williams? No, no, but he's he's got a longer resume. How many finals has Mike D'Antoni been to? NBA Finals, zero. How many have for Monty Williams? One. Okay. Is Mike D'Antoni more accomplished than Frank Vogel? No. Okay. The only coach on this list that he's more accomplished in is the only one who's never coached a game. Sam Cassell. Sam Cassell. There's six guys. You could make a strong argument that D'Antoni is the fifth most accomplished guy on that list. Now, if you want to say he's won more games than Monty Williams, fine. You want to say he's won more games 
than Nick Nurse. Fine. I mean, Nick Nurse was a coach of the year. He won a championship, but he's only coached five seasons. Right. D'Antoni's got the most experience of that group. But the question is, what's more important, winning games in a regular season or getting to the finals? Or making your star happy. Well, there's that, too. That's the third one. I'm glad that you brought those things up. Because what's more important to the Sixers? Having a guy who's accomplished that can get them, you know, we see it a lot of times in sports. The coach's fault. It's the coach's fault. It's the coach's fault. Then you bring in the next coach and you find out maybe it wasn't the coach's fault. Maybe <laughs> right. our players aren't all that good. <laughs> right, right. Right? The, the, the Sixers are on to the second coach. Now they're going to the third coach. The players constantly have been an issue for Philadelphia. They're not good enough. James Harden to the Sixers. Do they feel that it's more important to appease him, basketball freedom, more important to appease Joel, motivate him more, get him, get more out of him? Because what did Maury say the other day? We need to get, we hope that Joel improves more. You know, they're banking on the Sixers, Daryl Maury said, in-house improvement, Maxi, Embiid, that they become better basketball players, that, hey, just because we have to go, you know, we, we need to improve, some of the guys could just improve by getting better here. Right? The guys that are here could get better. Keep that in mind. So you look away at one of the takeaways from Daryl Morey's presser I think we need to go back to is what he said about Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid need for improvement. He didn't say anything about James Harden improving. He said, Joel Embiid needs to improve. He said, quote, that was a big conversation with Joel. Again, led by Joel to his credit, working through, hey, how can I make sure I can still get to my spots? How can I make sure that when they're trying to take away, take this away, I have a counter? Look, it's something that we, and I'll just put it on myself, we need to do a better job of during the season. So Embiid, and you watch Jokic last night. There's two things about Jokic I think Embiid doesn't have. One is Jamal Murray. <laughs> he doesn't have Jamal Murray. I talked about this yesterday. Murray's a, he's a baller, dude. Murray's a baller. The Sixers don't have Murray. That's one. Two. The other thing that I think Joel lacks that Jokic has is Jokic has more basketball IQ and experience than Joel does. He's been playing the game longer. Sometimes we forget that Joel has been playing the game not very long, right? He has not played the game for a very long time. Meanwhile, Nikola Jokic, he has been playing basketball. You know, he played youth basketball since basically, you know, he grew up. This is a guy who has gone through the academies and has played. He has that basketball intuition. I think Joel lacks some basketball intuition. He's a smart guy, smart player. But I think Jokic has a really good feel of when. Because what happened last night to Jokic? Anybody have the answer to this question? Where was Jokic in the fourth quarter last night? I didn't see him. Did anybody else see him? He didn't need to. Doesn't mean he didn't make an impact. Jokic understands, hey, the other team, like we complain all the time. Well, Joel, you need to score 35 points. It's your fault you didn't score. 
Now, you might need to have 35 points in periods one, two, and three, but when you get to period four and they just refusing to let Jokic score last night, in the fourth quarter of that game, the Lakers were like, anybody but him, right? And the Nuggets said, okay, we got you. Well, there's two things that come that arose from what you, what you're watching there. One, Jokic understands they're taking him away and trusts the other guys. Why? Because he has Jamal Murray. Sixers don't have Jamal Murray. Two, Jokic understands he has Murray. I'm going to use Murray. So Jokic doesn't have to press the issue. But what he does do very well that I think Joel needs to get better at, he lures the defense to thinking, hey, I'm going to force a shot. I have to score. I'm going to do something. We complain about Joel all the time that he's not down in the block. He's not down in the block. He's not down in the block. Jokic isn't down on the block. What does Jokic do, though? He gets the ball at the top of the key, and he starts to slowly back his way down until he lulls you to sleep, and then, bang, he gets the pass. He understands it's not my quarter. This is Murray's quarter. Much like Antetokounmpo in the finals a couple of years ago. Now, took Antetokounmpo how many years to figure that out? Well, it took him his third head coach. How many years did it take him to figure out three head coaches in probably eight seasons that Antetokounmpo finally said, you know what? Maybe I'm not the guy in the fourth quarter. Maybe I have to be more of the decoy and let Chris Middleton finish this thing off. Well, I bring up the third coach for a specific reason. I got the reason because the Sixers are going to be under their third coach and maybe the third guy can help him say, hey, in the fourth quarter, maybe you don't have to be the guy that scores if you scored 35 to get us to this point. Hand it off to Whoever. problem is the Sixers don't have the other guy. But do you trust Daryl Morey to figure that out? And those are scenario A and B. Harden comes back, basketball freedom, who's the coach? Option B, I think what I watched last night is, and I said this yesterday on the show, Murray is, I didn't put him in my top five, but I mean, he's right, he's in my top ten. I love Murray, I love watching him play. When he gets hot, he is tremendous. Can Maxie be the Sixers' answer to Murray? Is he ready? Because Murray wasn't this good early in his career. It's taken him, and then he got hurt. That knee injury really stunk for him because he missed all of last year. But he was coming on before that. They were the number one seed. They made the Western Conference Finals. You had this young group together. Can Murray, um, can Maxie become what Murray has become to Denver. That is a possible plan B that could help you out. Because other than that, I don't know how they make that quick evolution if Harden walks out the door. And that goes to another plan C. And I'll get into that coming up next. On the Sports Bash Live! Happy hour Friday. Hey, text me what you're having this weekend. Where are you going? What are you having? Give me a good recommendation. Those who do, I have a pair of tickets to go see comedian Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino on Saturday, July 15th. I'm going to give away a pair of tickets to the best recommendation of the day. You send me a great recommendation for happy hour Friday. And if I like it the best... I'll hook you up with a pair of tickets to see comedian Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino Resort. 
The tickets go on sale today. They are on sale today, and the show is July 15th. But I got a pair for my favorite happy hour Friday fan of the day, Sports Fast Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back on 97.3 ESPN. Happy hour Friday on the Sports Pass. You text in, give me a nice little suggestion for the weekend. Start it off right. Mike, I'm going to Harry Decay's for happy hour at the Phil's game tonight versus the Cubs. Nice spot. You know, I've never actually been to Harry Decay's. You believe that? I've never been to Harry Decay's at a Phillies game. Never gone there. Ballpark open to what? 04? I've never been to Harry the Case. So you need to rectify that. That guy's going. Good for him. Andrew from Delaware says, hey guys, happy hour Friday. Have you tried this beer yet? And the news hardened and new news hardened to sign with Houston. Yeah, we got that news. What's the beer you sent me here? Miss Pillion Beer IPA from here. I can't say that I've had that. Nope. I can't recognize the can. The, the, he sent a picture of the truck. Where's the truck at, Andrew? He's in Delaware, so maybe it's down in Delaware somewhere. I haven't tried that beer, though. Um, Mike, what I saw last night with Denver was they had a wingman, literally someone playing the 2-3 spot who was scoring. Harden was deferring back to Embiid, and Embiid was trying to get others involved, but the moment was too big for them, especially when Tatum kept hitting buckets. They looked pressed. Monday, Marcus. Um, I thought Embiid looked good early. I mean, they doubled him. He got the ball out of his hands. Tucker was hitting threes. But I thought what happened in the second half was Harden was not getting Embiid the ball in good spots. And that was kind of jamming the offense up, for lack of a better thought here. He was kind of jamming the offense up because Harden was just not good in the game. And Embiid pressed too much, too. But... Jokic get you know people complain about Embiid where he gets the ball out on the perimeter. Jokic gets the ball out way out there. Nobody has a problem with that because he'll shoot it awkwardly. He'll dribble back his way, back his way. I mean, he does stuff just so ugly. I mean, some of the stuff he does is just so ugly. But hey, goes in. Cole from LBI says I think Maxi can be Embiid's version of Murray, and Harden being on the team hurts that development. Yeah, that's where plan C comes into play. I've seen people suggest that the Sixers need to kind of take like a like an off year. You know, where they just kind of take a step back to rebuild back up for like a like a reset button. It's a hard thing to do with what you're with with Joel and Bede here. It's hard to say to Joel, "Hey, we're going to take a step back so we can take two forward." You know, you might win 45 games because you got Joel Embiid, you got Maxi. I don't know what you're going to do with um, Harris. But if you have Harris and you have Maxi and you have Embiid in the regular season, you're going to win 40, 50 games, right? You put that trio together. Mike, how can we improve? He has to. Oh, how can he improve? All he has to do is be consistent. If he is half of what he was in the playoffs of the regular season, the Sixers win that series. What else can Joel do to improve? I think he can do a lot to improve, actually. He can, and this is hard. 
It's hard to teach someone intuition. It's hard to teach someone instincts. You know, have that intuition, that sixth sense. You can't teach someone that. You have to be born with that. That's innate in you. You have the vision to see two and three plays ahead or two and three seconds ahead in this case sometimes. Joel gets the ball. I know where that double's coming from, and I'm ready for it. Sometimes he knows the double's coming and he sees it and he does a good job. Other times when teams disguise their doubles a little better, and that happens a lot, I think, when he gets tripled. The two guys surround him and then the third guy comes and he doesn't see it as well or he tries to put the ball on the floor and then that third guy is just waiting for him to put the ball on the floor. And the second he puts that ball on the floor, that's when the guard comes in. And remember, Joel's seven feet tall, so when he dribbles in traffic – the ball's got to go seven feet down to the ground, you know, five and a half feet. I mean, you're not dribbling it from his head. But still, that's a long way to come down and then come back up to him. And those guards get in there, and they poke that ball away. So I think Joel can improve, but it's a hard improvement because it's intuition. It's instincts. It's basically seeing things that you don't get thrown at you. You don't know where it's coming from. You can you can emulate it in practice. But you don't know what the other team's going to do. That's the one thing I said. Like he's saying, "Oh, these games on Wednesday night in January against bad teams. I want him to take those like their playoff reps." Well, what are you going to do? Call the Charlotte Hornets and be like, "Hey, can you triple Joel Embiid tonight?" No, but what you can do is you can tell Embiid to execute a certain way or have a certain game plan going. It's less about to me, Mike, the other team than it is about how you, you know, sometimes. You can beat yourself. You could argue the Sixers at times have beaten themselves. And I think that Embiid can grow and can get better because Jokic was not a first-round pick, and he's turned into who he is. Giannis was not a top-ten pick. He's turned into who he is. There's plenty of examples of players who evolved and grew into their maximum potential. So I think there is room for Embiid to grow. I think the problem is, at least in my perspective, is that I don't think he's going to get there with James Harden next to him. I think they've gotten gotten as far as they can go with that pair. Here's the problem, okay? You're the Philadelphia 76ers. Let's say, for instance, you played New York in the second round. Okay? Let's just say you played New York in the second round. They advanced to the second round. You, you ended up playing New York in the second round. You beat New York in the second round. Let's say you played Miami in the second round and beat Miami. You advanced to the conference finals. They were literally a game. They were literally five minutes away, really. Game six, they're up. Five minutes left in that game. They're five minutes away from beating the Celtics in six games. Right, when it beat touch the ball for four minutes. The Sixers have to internally be saying, we're right there. What are we doing breaking this team up? We're right there. We were five minutes away from beating that team. See, fans, we we like to get irrational, and we don't like Harden. They lost game seven. Harden looked like a loser in game seven. But you can easily go back to game six where, believe me, they didn't play well in game six either. But you still had a shot to win that game. Yeah, and you lost it in part because of Harden. You're right there. But my point is they're looking at themselves and saying, what are we talking about breaking this team up for? Why not run it back with a team that was this close 
to getting to the to the conference finals. I hear what you're saying, but what I'm saying is is that you're doing that under the illusion that your path to get there is going to be similar to what it is this year. Because let's say you don't face the Celtics next year, or what if the Celtics get better than they are this year, or the next year somehow? You can't you can't just say run it back when you're the team that can't even get to a point to say run it back. Like if you if you went to the NBA Finals and you lost in a sweep, let's say let's let's say you got to the NBA Finals, you played whoever, and you get swept out of the finals, and then you told me, look, you got to run it back, you got to give these guys a shot at this. Then I get that, but you couldn't even get out of the second round. You couldn't finish Game Six. You didn't show up at Game Seven, and a big part of that is Harden, who's supposed to be older, more mature, more experienced than Embiid is, and he didn't help him get across the finish line. Happy hour Friday, uh, Miss Pillion Beer IPA from here. All right, he sent me a better picture. No, I have not seen this beer called Not Satan. Not today, Satan. It's a good one cool name. The other one's called the Reach Around. It's interesting. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll put this one under consideration for the tickets. <laughs> uh, we got tickets for Shane Gillis, comedian. He's at Ocean Casino Resort. Tickets go on sale today, but I have tickets for the show. Send me something good to have this weekend for Happy Hour Friday. A lot of texts. Mike mixing it up today. What's he got? A little Hazy Bones IPA from Flying Fish. Little Tan Limes from Cape May Brewing Company. And the Double Nickel. I like the Double Nickel. I've yeah, that. I've had the Double Nickel before. I haven't had the Tan Limes. I don't know that that's my bag there. I think that's more my... Uh, the Hazy Bones I've had. The Flying Fish. You know where I had the Hazy Bones last year? Where's that? At the beach concert in Atlantic City. Oh, there you go. They had the Hazy Bones Flying Fish, which just got bought by Kate May, right? Yes. Good one, Jeff in Ocean City. Good one, buddy. Happy hour Friday to you. Mike, if Harden signs with the Rocket, how much cap room does that open up? Rick, not much. About $12 million, I think. I think that's the number. Yeah, your your move is less about Harden leaving. It is about unloading the Tobias Harris contract. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City will get his thoughts on Harden moving, the coach, Phillies weekend, all that and more coming up next on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 245, Mike McGarry for the Press of Atlantic City and PressofAtlanticCity.com is here to talk a little bit about the weekend as we get ready. Bills and Cubs this weekend, but of course, the Sixers and James Harden are dominating the conversation. According to Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer, ho, 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 league executives believe that James Harden will sign with the Rockets. We heard this back on Christmas, Mike McGarry, and at the time... Now, this isn't crazy because we heard it back on Christmas, but at the time we thought, like, this doesn't make any sense. Why we want to go there? Well, we know the report earlier this week that he wants a competitive roster, basketball freedom. To you, is it a fait accompli that James Harden lands in Philly, or is all this a ploy for him to get his way and get what he wants in Philadelphia? Well, to me, he's going to wind up in Philadelphia because Philadelphia can give him the most money. And two, if Philadelphia doesn't sign to him, it really sets them back next season 
And, you know, Embiid is going to be 30 years old when next season's playoffs start, and you can't toss away an Embiid season. So I think there's a lot of ramifications that people aren't foreseeing if the Sixers do not bring James Harden back. Again, I'm on record, keep Embiid, keep Harden, and add that third star to the roster and then make a run. Right, so... You're not seeing let him walk and kind of take, you know, some people have suggested, you know, scenario B, let him walk and then see what more he can do with the roster. Yeah, I think if you let him walk, you're uh, risking Joel Embiid walking into your office and saying, hey, we can't win next year. Send me a place where I can win. I mean, I think people are underestimating the Embiid age factor in this situation. How long is it before Embiid is the next NBA superstar who's unhappy and wants to be traded? So I think you've got to maintain this team at a high level. And next year, with the way the cap works out, if you let Harden walk, you can't add a star to this team, basically, unless you were to make a trade or bring in somebody else. And I think, you know, the two-star system didn't work. It didn't work with Embiid and Harden. I think they need a third star. And, and not to bring back Harden, I understand he's not everybody's favorite player in Philadelphia right now, but he did lead the league in assists. He did win games one and four of that Boston series almost by himself. I mean, I don't think he can let the guy walk. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, and look, this isn't ridiculous. They were, you know, about five minutes away from winning that game six. Are the Sixers looking at this and saying, look, we were right there. Why not take another shot, run it back, and if we can, maybe, maybe it was the coach. Maybe we bring a different coach in, run it back. Maybe we're, we close out that game six. I don't think that would be a realistic way of looking at it. Uh, I think if you run it back, you're going to face the same result that you had this season. Again, I don't think this is a coaching problem. As I said the other day, I've come over to your way of thinking. I don't think this is a coach of thinking. This is a roster situation. I don't think Embiid is good enough to get to be the number one offensive option on a team that goes deep in the playoffs. History has shown us that. You, he, you see what Jokic does for the Denver Nuggets. Embiid can't do that. It doesn't mean Embiid's a bad player. It means Embiid's a great player. He just needs a more complimentary roster. James Harden has not been able to get a team, you know, to an NBA final. His record in, in uh, game six and seven is atrocious as it was this year. So I think you have two pieces. You need a third piece and have to use the roster. And to me, it's the Tobias Harris contract and Tyrese Maxey, whom you can combine to get that third star. Yeah, how about uh, watching the Denver game last night? You know, what do you take away? Because obviously the Embiid, Jokic stuff, and everybody looks at those two. Um, what do some of the things that Jokic does that maybe Embiid could learn or take from it? That doesn't mean, look, Jokic is great in his own way. I think what makes them different is they're different. Jokic is different than Embiid is. They just happen to be two big guys that can shoot and put the ball and do a lot of things. But is there some stuff that Embiid can learn by watching Jokic and what he does? Well, I don't know if he can learn it. Jokic is just, to me, a much better passer. Like, you can throw the ball to Jokic in the final three minutes of a game, and, and he will find an open man, and he will get you a good shot. You can play through him in the closing seconds of games. 
I don't think you can play through Embiid. He still has a rough time with double teams, things of that nature. And there was a play last night that Jokic made. Uh, the Lakers were storming back. Jokic goes to the boards, grabs an offensive rebound, finds a guy on the perimeter for a three-point play. To me, Embiid just doesn't make that play. You know, uh, Jokic does. Now, again, I'm not saying here that Jokic is, that Embiid's a bad player. Embiid is a wonderful, wonderful player. Uh, you know, one of the top players in the league, obviously. But I just think to get over the hump, he needs a better roster constructed around him. And maybe he needs to be convinced to play a more defensive role in the in a game six or a game seven of a playoff situation. I think they need another guy on the perimeter that can create shots for himself or teammates in the final three minutes of a game six and seven. And it sounds strange. They're a great team. They just need one player, I think, to get them over the hump in that critical game seven or the final four minutes of a game six. They just can't do it as presently constituted. But that means they're probably better of the 30 teams in the NBA. They're probably better than 26 of them. Yeah, that's the, that's the Daryl Morey thing yesterday. 26 teams would like to be where we are right now. But, um, I watching that game last night and my takeaway is it, hey, Jokic is so much better than Bede. Like, I, I agree with you. There, I think where Jokic is a little bit different than in Bede, I don't want to say better, just different. He has better intuition. I think he just, Played the game more. He has better intuition. He knows, hey, they're doubling me. They're tripling me. I can't score. The difference is he has a Murray. The Sixers don't. Yeah, and that's, again, that plays into my argument of they need a third guy to be that guy, right? Because history Or a better second guy. Or a better second guy. Yeah, but I think, you know, don't underestimate you know, what Michael Porter Jr. does for them and a couple of the other Nuggets guys. I think it's a better roster overall. I just think the way the Sixers are constituted right now, you're right, they might need a better second guy, but I'm not giving up James Harden because I think you take a step back. So I look at what you have and I say, give me Embiid, give me Harden, get me a third guy, get me Dame Lillard and see how he fits into this roster with different guys and go from there, basically. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. We know it's Championship Friday. The Cape Atlantic League Baseball Softball Finals are being played today. Right. I'd like to personally thank the Cape Atlantic League for scheduling all their events on one day. Can we spread it, spread it out a little bit, guys, and help us out a little bit here? But we've got a great day of action. I'm on my way to Buna right now. Violent at Buna Baseball. Uh, Egg Harbor Township will host St. Joe in softball. And Ocean City boys and lacrosse teams will, boys and girls lacrosse teams will host uh, championship games over there in Ocean City. Plus, you got the Atlantic County Track and Field Championships at Stockton today, so it's a busy high school day. The spring season is always busy, and we'll have it all for you at some point on com and in tomorrow's paper. Now, let me guess. You're going to go from Buna up to the Phillies game tonight? No, nah, I'll be just – I'll be only at Buna, <laughs> and then I'll be taking in the Phillies and Sunday against the Cubs, so I'll be up there Saturday and Sunday. Very cool, and he'll be back here on Monday to break it all back down. Phillies and Cubs, Phils are back in town. By the way, their record right now, 20-23, and 23, exactly the same as it was after 43 games last year, 20-23. and 23. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City, everybody. Have a good one, bud. 
All right, enjoy the weekend, everybody. Talk He's back on Monday right here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Hey, before we get to the top of the hour and our weekend here on a happy hour Friday, it's Friday night. You're looking for something to do. How about dinner at my friends at Trio in North Wildwood? Stop in and see Chef Gus Zimmerman and the team at Trio North Wildwood, 700 New Jersey Avenue. I know you guys are coming down the shore thinking, Friday night, what should we do? It's a nice night. Hey, why don't we go to dinner somewhere? Make your reservations on Resi right now. Stop on in and try out the menu. I'm telling you right now, you'll thank me. If you get the pork chop, which is what I got, but... We got some, the monkfish meal. I got rave reviews. You know why I like the monkfish meal? They got something that not a lot of restaurants have. Andouli sausage. Beautiful, well put together. Gus Zimmerman. Fantastic, delectable, chef driven, quality focused. TrioNW.com to check out the menu. They're opening up Thursday, Friday, Saturday starting next week, but they're open right now tonight. So how about getting down there to North Wildwood? Trio North Wildwood. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Just after three on a happy hour Friday, Mike Gill and the Sports Bash taking you till six. Got a lot of text messages coming in. We'll address and get to 609 403 0973-609-403-0973. Hit me up. Mike is dead wrong for thinking about trading Maxis. I didn't one time say I was thinking about trading Maxis. What are you talking about McGarry? I didn't say that. Maybe McGarry did. Did McGarry mention? Uh, he did say something about, I did not say trade Maxi. I'm not a big fan of trading Maxi. Now, if you, here's a question. This is going to come up. Dame Lillard, would you trade Tobias Harris and Maxie for Dame Lillard? I consider it. Have to. You have to. You have to consider it. I mean, you'd be crazy not to consider saying, listen, Dame Lillard is the player that's your Jamal Murray, but better. Is Dame Lillard better than Jamal Murray? Yes. All right. Then you have to make that decision. Yeah, I mean, you have to think about it. You can't say, I'm going to shut down any. Like, I did not say, I don't know where that guy got that. Well, um, like, one of McGarry's points was is that if Harden doesn't come back, and if you're serious about trying to win with Embiid, you might have to make hard decisions like trading Maxi. He wasn't overtly saying, "I want to trade Maxi," because McGarry's point was is that Embiid is running out of time, basically, and I think that's a fair point that a lot of people have made that Joel Embiid is not getting any younger, and his. His prime will not be as extended as other guys because of the injury issues. And I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. And I think the Sixers are also aware of that, too. You don't think the Sixers are aware that Joel Embiid has had numerous injuries over the last few years and he's going to be turning 30 soon? Of course they are. Yeah, listen, you have to put the pedal to the metal with Joel Embiid. You yes. have to accelerate your decision-making. You can't. That's why I'm not a big fan of saying, hey, why not maybe kind of hit the pause button for a year, let the contracts come off the books. you got to take every shot you can when you have Joel Embiid here. The question is, is it best to say we got close with Joel Embiid, James Harden, Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, and what did Harden say? Hey, we've only been together one year. 
They've been together. Well, you're going to be together for two years next year. They might be together now for a fifth year. You know right. what I'm saying? So they're not hitting. You know, this isn't um, uh, Dave's and Confused, you know. Hey, they keep, <laughs> I keep getting older. They keep staying the same age. You know, that's not the case. Boston keeps growing too. So you can't say, look, the Sixers don't exist in a vacuum. Just because you're getting better in terms of experience, you're getting more experience together. So are they. They're in a situation where, now, we don't know what Boston seems going to look like. They've got some possible free agents, opt-out situations. I don't know what their roster looks like. But you have to at least consider scenario A. For the sheer fact of scenario B, it's like being on the price is right. What's behind door number two? A new car! I don't know that a new car is going to open up. You know, it might be that one where they say, what's behind that? Show them, Rod. Show them. Well, you got a nice recliner chair from Boscov's. It has a button on it that your feet go up. And the person on the stage is like, oh, I finally got called to the showcase showdown. And all I'm getting is a lousy Boscov's recliner chair. That might be what scenario B is for the Sixers. I mean, at least A, it's like, okay, I... Know what I got here. I kind of like it. I just don't know if it's reliable or not. But on B, when I say, what's behind door number two there, Rod? What's the guy's name? Rod Roddy? I don't remember his name. From, uh, what do you mean you don't remember his name? The Price is Right guy? I remember it was Bob Barker, and now it's Drew Carey hosting. That's what no, I the, the, the announcer guy, Rod Roddy. Wasn't his name Rod Roddy? I'm going to look this up. I don't remember. It doesn't ring a bell at all? He's like the most famous uh, announcer game show guy ever. And uh, Barker would say, tell him, Rod, tell him. Rod Roddy, correct. Yeah, Rod Roddy. He actually got his career starting in radio. Of course he did. You hear that guy's voice? It did. How about a new recliner chair? They sell that recliner chair like the greatest thing ever. You could give me something else to try to. You know, Rod Roddy for you. You know, want a, you want a new kitchen? How about a two door refrigerator? These doors open outwards. By the way, Rod Roddy, rest in peace. He's no longer with us. Yeah, I knew that. I mean, he hasn't been with us for quite some time. It's not like he passed like a week ago and I missed it. <laughs> Rod Roddy hasn't been here for a while. <laughs> Jeez. But you know, the 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 fact of the matter is this. The Sixers' two options are not great. So you either have to say, you, I, you know, this is like they say, hey, neither option is great. Right. So what do you do? Do you take the best of two bad options? Or do you go down the road of the unknown and take your chances? It's almost, ironically enough, this is like the processors against the antiprocessors. James Harden, Joel Embiid staying together that's doing what you were doing before. You kind of know what the outcome's going to be. I know I'm going to win 42 games. I'm going to be the eighth seed. I'm going to get knocked out in the first round. My building's half empty. Letting James Harden walk is almost going down the road of the unknown and saying, I'm going to take a shot. I don't know where this is going to lead me, but it's a lot more exciting now, isn't it? Isn't it the more exciting option if you're the Sixers to say, let James Harden walk, and let's figure out what to do without him. 
The problem is, ironically enough, it almost feels like the guy who, in by proxy, had something to do with the process. Remember, he was in Houston. Sam Hankey was his assistant general manager in Houston. Sixers hire Hankey to run the process. Now you've got the guy who was in Houston, Hankey's boss, running your team, and he wants to play it safe and go down the road of Andre Iguodala, Thaddeus Young, Spencer Halls, Drew Holiday, and be like, well, let's try again. You talk about insanity. We already know the outcome here. You're going to get knocked out in the second round again. But everybody that's an anti-processor seems to be okay with that because apparently 42 wins is a lot better than 9 wins or 28 wins or 19 wins or 18 wins. 42, everybody gets a trophy. Is this an opportunity for me to uh, pitch you my crazy theory? Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to listen to your crazy theory and everybody out there's crazy theory because you know what? There are many times where you have a strong opinion. You're like, this is what you have to do. And if they do this, it's going to work. I would say in this instance, I don't know that I have the right or I don't have a strong answer to this one yet. I'm working on it. I'm working on it because I have to do a little bit more studying on contractual stuff, trade machines, see what guys are tradable, that kind of stuff. Go ahead. So here, here's my big theory. I believe what the Sixers should do is let Harden walk, move some pieces around, and go all in for next year one more year with Embiid. One more year. If it doesn't work next year, you blow it up, and here's why. When you made the Al Horford trade a couple years ago, you attached a first-round pick in 2025 to that trade. It's a top-six protected pick. Well, if you try next year and it doesn't work one more year with Embiid and then you blow it up for one year and you what the Spurs just did, you tank for one year and you get that first round pick back in 2025 and now you're hitting the reset button to instead of having to go through multiple years of implosion and fixing it, you only go through one year of implosion. So and you're asking the Sixers to essentially tank with Embiid on the team. No, no, no. Give give me one more year with Embiid and trying to chase the championship this upcoming season. That's with Harden? 20, without Harden. Let Harden walk. There's, there's contracts out there that can be traded. For example, if you hired Nick Nurse, who's supposedly hiring, uh, interviewing Sue with the Sixers, Siakam and Tobias Harris have almost the exact same money on the books next year. And they're both expiring contracts. Let's say you trade Tobias and somebody else for Siakam, uh, and you maybe get somebody else involved somewhere else, and you like retool the roster, right? And you take one more shot at a championship in the 2023 24 season. You don't get there. Then you make the decision to basically just unload Embiid and only keep Maxi. Tell Maxie kind of like what you did years ago. I, I, here's the problem I have with that, and okay. it's a good thought. I have no problem with the thought process. Okay. Here's the problem. I'm now giving away Embiid. I'm starting basically over, and I'm going into a draft situation where I don't know what that draft class looks like. doesn't matter. It's the idea that, you know, you the whole point of the tank is you just take the shot. 
Yeah, it is the whole point. But part of, I think, what worked for Philadelphia was they were in a time frame where, and I don't know what's coming up. Again, this is me blindly going into, I don't know what's coming up. But you had the winless for Wiggins. People thought Andrew Wiggins was going to be uh, the next guy, right? They got lucky that that he that Wiggins went first. And sure. you didn't get the number one pick. And well, you ended the, up getting Embiid. You you asked backwards yourself into Embiid. Keep that in mind. Well, the Spurs accidentally got Wembenyana. They didn't have the best odds. Well, they didn't accidentally get him. Well, you know what I mean. He they, get, they get to pick him because they're the worst team. Right, but the, the odds are now. I get the, that, the, but the my point is records. the player I'm talking about. Right. The the player Embiid should have been pick, taken first. He would have gone first, but he had that broken foot. And Cleveland didn't have the patience that Philly did. Philly said, we don't need to win right now, so we'll take the guy with the broken foot because he's the best player. Right. But my thing is, I don't care what the Sixers did 10 years ago. I'm talking about what the Sixers can do moving forward. Because if you tell the fans, look, we're not going through a process again. Just give us one year to reset the roster, reset the books. We'll get a first-round pick. We'll get a bunch of players in return for Embiid. Remember when the Lakers traded away Shaq? all those years ago, some of the players they got in that deal helped them win a championship down the road, i.e. Lamar Odom the, being the main one. I'm not saying that you're trading him being getting a star in return necessarily. But you have to. But you're getting a future guy who's going to help you win. Yeah, listen, I am all about, like, I have no problem. If you told me, I don't know, Embiid's how old right now? He's, I, what, 28? He's 28 turning 29. Or 29, right. So if you told me, Embiid is 34 years old. You've taken X amount of shots with him. You got to a final. He's 29 turning 30. Okay. So how many more shots do you have with Embiid? I say you have at least one more. You think only one? At minimum. The only reason I say that is because I just have a concern about him and his health. Well, that's fair. But, I mean, he's only. he. he yes, I, I get the health thing. He's been injured a lot. I would think, though, that he's still going to play at a pretty high level for probably three to five more seasons. Keep in mind, he's a big guy, but he's also a very perimeter-oriented big guy. He shoots an elbow jumper, and you would think that's only going to continue to get better and better and better, right? In theory, yes. Right, like that little elbow jumper you would think that he will continue to get better and better and better at that elbow jumper in his advanced age that he'll still be able to be an offensive. The question will be, what will his lateral mobility be? Will be, will he be a guy that can still be a defensive, you know, um, elite defensive player? I don't know. The problem is that a guy like Elijah Wan, when he finally won a championship at 31 years old, he didn't have Embiid's injury history. You know, Elijah Wan, in the years before he won a championship, he he was averaging around 75 games a year. And B's barely getting to 65. So are, are you willing to keep building around him long term and, and keep retooling around him? I think that you have three to five more years where you can hope that he is still an effective and listen I think the biggest thing here is if you have Embiid you have this guy who can still be an offensive force defensive rim protector 
But as he starts to get 32, 33, he will probably have to now fall into a more secondary role, and you will need a younger, more dynamic scorer than him. And that is going to be the challenge, right? That is going to be the challenge is do you want to get ahead of it and start now and make that move? It doesn't sound like the Sixers are at that point, but actions speak louder than words sometimes. They're not saying they want to make this move, but, man, their actions are sure that they think that Joel and B or, or um, James Harden seems to be a lot more important on their list right now, right, than, than uh, Joel and B. I mean, it's hard to really know what they really want to do because of the fact that even though Maury kept saying we have the MVP, you know, it's a rare opportunity when you have the MVP. It keeps saying that stuff, but ultimately, Embiid didn't want Doc Rivers fired. So you basically fired a guy for the sake of firing a guy, almost it seems like. You didn't do it because your star player wanted it. Now, again, I understand you can't cater everything to the star player, but you're put in a odd situation. That's part of the reason why I brought up Siakam as well earlier because Siakam and Embiid are friendly guys. They're both from Africa. They both have a very good relationship. You know, maybe Siakam's a guy... Don't know what Siakam's relationship was, is, is with Nick Nurse. That would be something that would be interesting to know. Well, I mean, you could argue that Siakam got better with Nick Nurse as compared to Dwayne Casey. Oh, no, listen, I, I, I like Siakam. Um, is he a good enough number two player? Mm. I think so. I think that you put him next to Embiid, now you're forcing teams to make really tough decisions about how they're going to play defense. Because Siakam is, is, he's big enough to also fill the void defensively when Embiid rotates. So they can basically take turns rotating defensively. And we know that Nick Nurse's expertise is defense, for example. And even if it's not Nick Nurse, a guy like Monty Williams, he's a creative guy. You remember the, I don't know if you heard the story, but apparently, Monty Williams was explaining to Chris Paul what he wanted to do offensively, and Chris Paul thought it was the most, you know, Chris Paul, who's supposed to be this high basketball IQ guy, he said that Monty Williams was smarter than him with his creativity. So, I mean, there are the guys who are available all could be guys that could be creative with Embiid maybe in a way that we haven't seen before. 609-403-0973. Mike, Tobias and Maxie for Dame Lillard would work, wouldn't it, uh, Andrew and Summer's Point? Yes, I, the money would work. Tobias and Lillard make about the same money. The Lillard makes a little bit more. Maxie doesn't make a whole heck of a lot. Yeah, and you probably get some extra player in return for Lillard. So maybe you get like an extra floor spacer or something in in that trade. Uh, trading Maxie for a 33-year-old Lillard who's been hurt the last two seasons is stupid. It's not stupid. A lot of teams do stuff like that. Next question. Uh, well, I don't want to dismiss it 100% because is there something to the fact that you do have a 33-year-old Dame Lillard? And you're putting – now are you becoming the Sixers of the Allen Iverson era where you're getting aging players and putting them around Iverson hoping they have the fountain of youth in them? Like Chris Webber, like Glenn Big Dog Robinson. Those players – when they made the trades at the time, it was like, okay, they're going out and getting Chris Webber. Well, Chris Webber wasn't Chris Webber anymore. Wait, Chris Webber was way beyond his prime at that point, and so was Robinson. I'm looking up Lillard's numbers right now. I mean, outside of the last two years, he's averaging around 70 games a year. I'm just, I'm just going to double-check the exact number here because best reference would be a little slow. Here it is. So... Before the last two seasons, and of course we know with the just the uh, the pandemic and everything it affects some of these numbers, but he 
he basically is playing an average of about 70 games a season. So he doesn't have a long history of injuries. And you got to remember, part of the reason why the numbers are the way they are is because of, you know, the COVID and the shutdown of the game. So it's it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison. But I do hear the question about the age. The um, Yeah, 33. I didn't realize Lillard was at 33. Uh, and you wonder how many elite years does he have left? That's a fair question by that guy. I thought Lillard was – and look, I thought him and Embiid – we're more lined up, like in B29, maybe he's 30, 31, and he has, you know, about three to five years, both of them, like a three to five year run. Now, Chris Paul, he's like 39 years, but the problem with Chris Paul is he's not reliable. Can't rely on Chris Paul. Yeah, I'm out on Chris Paul. His injury history is extensive. Very extensive. Lillard, small guy. Is he starting to break down? I guess you have to ask that question. I mean, he scored like 30 three points a game this year he was outstanding 58 games but 33 years old when's his birthday when when's he turning 34 so he'll be 33 years old uh, next season next week next, I mean, next month july is his birthday yeah so this season coming up he'll be 30 he'll be playing this season Correct. at 33 years old yep so you're probably getting dame lillard for like maybe two more re- really good years Theoretically, maybe yeah. more. I mean, basketball is hard, man. I just look at the fact he doesn't have this like real extensive injury history. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like Lillard is a guy like Chris Paul, where it feels like every single year he's injured. Like, he doesn't have that wear and tear on his body. I think that's that's a significant part of the conversation. Like, one of the reasons why the Spurs drafted Tim Duncan was not just because he was the best player in the draft, the number one overall pick, but mm-hmm. also because Robinson had a history of injuries. He wasn't always healthy, and the injuries were piling up, so they had to draft another guy to to basically be the new centerpiece of the team because Robinson was definitely on the downside of, of the mountain at that point. I don't think right now Lillard is on the downside of the mountain necessarily yet. He may not be apex Dame Lillard getting his team to the conference finals and Dame time, but I think he's still going to give you more than Harden is going to. It's a tough one. I'm torn on this one. Uh, guys, face it. Jokic should have won number three. Head and shoulders, best facilitator and player. Scott, I don't uh, think being the best facilitator and player definitively makes you the MVP. I would say this. Embiid is head and shoulders a better defensive player than Jokic is. It's not even close. I mean, look what's going on in the series. I looked at the game last night. I was watching the game, and I looked at the I said, man. Hachimura is, is like, how many points did Hachimura have in like the first half? I feel like, yeah, at one point I was like, Hachimura feels like he's scoring every single basket. Jokic is horrible defensively. He's horrible. So, Scott, you're living in a world where the best offensive player should win the MVP. They are, I don't want to say similar offensively. Joel scores more than he does. They rebound similarly. Uh, he's a better facilitator, passer. Hachimura had 17 points in 14 minutes in the first half yesterday. See? I was like, dude, how many points has Hachimura had? I was like, dude, he's eating Jokic's lunch. That's from ESPN Stats and Info. So, so like, there you go. Like, 
to but me, so like people watch the game and they yeah. only see Jokic what he does offensively. And by the way, Jokic had twenty three points last night. He was nine for twenty one. He didn't score in the fourth quarter. Now he did other things. He had twelve assists. So you know me, the twenty three points, the twelve assists, he accounted for almost fifty points last night. I didn't take anything away from Jokic, but he didn't have a great shooting night. He was zero for three from three. He was nine of twenty one from the field. He only scored twenty. He didn't score in the fourth quarter at all. But that doesn't take anything away from him. Yeah, it, you're not saying Jokic doesn't deserve MVP consideration. You're not saying Jokic is a bad player. You're just saying that the reason why MVP won, the MVP award winner was Embiid was because Embiid brings a more Embiid balanced Embiid won the MVP this year because he was a better overall player. All well-rounded player. Yeah, and he also led the league in scoring. They didn't say Embiid's a better offensive player. That's why he won. No. He led the league in scoring. He's also a far better defensive player. Correct. He won the award because he was a more well-rounded player than Nikola Jokic was. And by the way, he's a more well-rounded player than Jokic was last year and the year before. Yeah. So you can make a strong argument that both these guys could have been flip-flopped either year. Now, Jokic right now... He's up 2-0 in this series. He has a chance to really cement himself on a different level if he wins this series, goes to the final. And by, by the way, if he wins it, that would be a huge story for him. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Uh, Phils are 20-23, and 23, but are they in some trouble? They were 20-23 and 23 last year. They made the World Series. You know, making the World Series as the third wild card team is not what you yearn and strive for. But what I will say is this. In baseball, get into the party, and the party is open for everybody. A 107-win team is really no different from an 87-win team. There's so many examples in baseball of teams getting into the playoffs. Because why? If you know anything about baseball, and some of my text messengers obviously don't, it's about pitching. And when you have pitching in the month of October, you can win 55 games. If you have a guy that can pitch in those couple weeks of the season, you are ready to go. The Phillies have those pitchers. We saw it last year, but you got to get to the finish line. So do they have issues that can't be fixed? Scott Lauber from the Inquirer coming up next. Now, back horse bash on 97.3 ESPN. 331, Mike Gill with you on a happy hour Friday. We've got tickets to go see comedian Shane Gillis. Let me know what you're having on this happy hour Friday. And we will randomly select one lucky happy hour Friday listener. You'll win the tickets to see comedian Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino Resort this July. Pair of tickets are yours, 609-403-0973. Scott Lauber is covering the Phils this weekend. Back from San Francisco, where they got swept 20-23, and 23, the Phils. Same record as last year. But does this team have last year's vibes? Let's bring Scott in to the conversation after the off day yesterday. They'll go with Ranger Suarez tonight against Marcus Stroman, I think, is pitching for the Cubs, if memory serves me. Scott Lauber, how you doing, buddy? Doing well, Mike. How are you? All is well. About uh, a week from Memorial Day, 20 and 23. Last year, we looked at the Phils at 20 and 23. Very uninspiring. Didn't think much. The manager got fired. They turned things around. Are there vibes around this team that feel more like last year or more reasons to worry? Yeah, I mean, if you think about last year, I, at this time, 
I don't think the vibe was really good. In fact, I think, uh, you know, they had given us no reason to think that they were going to turn it around because they had never turned it around. Like this group hadn't been to the postseason yet. And so there was a lot of reason to be skeptical last year that it was going to get better. And I think if anything, um, the vibe this year is that it will not just because, you know, on paper, uh, it's too, there's too much talent to not do it, but because they've done it before. Now that's, that's a double-edged sword, right? Like just because you've done it before does not mean you want to put yourself in the position to have to climb out of a hole again. Uh, but, you know, I do think that there is a sort of a feeling that um, having gone through what they went through last year, uh, it's that they can do it again, but also that it doesn't have to get to that point. Like it doesn't have to get to the low point last year where they were 22 and 29 and, um, made a managerial change, which I was told yesterday by Dave Dombrowski, don't even think about, like, it's not going to happen this year. They're not going to move on from the manager. Um, but, you know, you, you don't have to get to that depth of, of, of a hole uh, before you really start to turn it around. So I think they feel like they can do it. They can do it sooner than they did it last year. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the managerial change and don't think about it this year. Is there some thought that the manager has not done a good job with this crew so far? Well, I mean, look, I think that you can do your share of second guessing. I do all the time. I mean, sure. in, in my job and, you know, you can certainly look at it and you can say, well, um, you know, uh, I mean, I was, I was suggesting in print that Bryson Stott lead off before Bryson Stott led off and, and, you know, or, or that they, um, that they look into that when, when Harper got back and initially they didn't remember Schwarber was the leadoff guy uh, at the beginning when Harper got back. So, yeah, I mean, you can second guess as much as you want, but at the same time, you know, they are two for their last 39 with runners in scoring position. Uh, they currently do not have a number five starter. Their number four starter has underachieved tremendously. Their shortstop has underachieved tremendously, and none of these are Rob Thompson problems. They are uh, individual player slash roster construction problems. And, um, you know, so I think that, uh, you know, it's natural when a team is not playing well or or as well as it's supposed to play to look at the coach or the manager. But in this case, you know, look, they made a managerial change last year right. uh, for, for reasons that went beyond 22 and 29. Like they felt like they needed to change the the vibe in that clubhouse. I don't think that they need to change the vibe this year. I just think they need to play better. Yeah, and there's some things that we can get into with Scott Lauber from the Inquirer right now. I mean, first base, you've got Cody Clemens getting a lot of innings. Bohm was over there because Bohm was at first. He had Sosa playing a lot. He seemed to be a guy that was getting figured out. So that first base situation, how do you see it? Because Hall will be back a couple weeks. Is it as simple as, hey, once Hall is back, everything will be cheery and bright? Or do they really have to, because he's a left-handed bat, do they really have to think about possibly a a, a different you know, scenario at first base? Well, I think ultimately the scenario at first base may end up being Bryce Harper. You know, I mean, he, uh, he you know, he uh, wrote about this last week uh, in the Inquirer. I mean, he is, he is going through a fairly extensive workout every other day at first base. He has not been cleared to throw to bases yet, like to really ramp up his throwing program, but he is playing catch all the time. He is, every other day doing a pretty extensive workout at first. I think 
there is a sense that when he comes back to play defense, it's going to be at first base. And if that happens, that enables them to free up the DH spot, for, maybe for Kyle Schwarber, who has not moved well out in left field. Uh, and maybe they can do some things defensively out there uh, to make themselves better, whether that's Christian Pache when he returns from his injury or uh, or something else. So there are a lot of things that you can do when you free up that DH spot. So not for nothing, though. I mean, look, they lost Reese Hoskins with a week to go in spring training. And, you know, I think that with Reese Hoskins, I don't really understand it. I mean, there's always been this sense that, like, oh, you could replace that production. Well, it's hard to replace that production. It's also hard to replace the leadership that, that he brings in the clubhouse. And, you know, I think we've seen this over the last few years. I mean, you saw it in in uh, in 2020 when he went down with the elbow injury late in the season. That was the short season, and they faded down the stretch. You saw it in the second half of 21 when he missed a lot of time with that abdominal injury, and they faded down the stretch. Um, they have not played well over the years when Reese Hoskins has been out, and I think – Losing him as late as they did in spring training, it forced them to juggle some things at first base. Then Derek Hall got hurt, forced them to juggle things even more at first base. But just the loss of Hoskins with a week to go in spring training, I think we kind of were inclined to say, all right, you know, next man up, and really forget what an impact he made and does make on their lineup and really kind of just on their clubhouse as a whole. Yeah, I'll be the first to say I wasn't a huge Hoskins guy, but... The caveat is I didn't like him in the two-hole. I was looking forward to seeing him hitting more in the middle of this lineup, which is probably where they were going to use him this year. You mentioned the shortstop, Scott Lauber, from the Inquirer is with us. Uh, Any reason to think that he won't turn this around, or is there some concerns that you're watching this guy and saying, huh, uh, something's not right here? Well, I mean, clearly there's something that's not quite right. I mean, he is is chasing – pitches more than he normally does. That I think is the big thing that stands out to me at the plate is that, you know, his strikeout rate is much higher than normal. He's swinging the pitches out of the strike zone more than normal. Some of that I'm sure has to do with just pressing a little bit because it hasn't gone his way. So what do you do when it doesn't go your way? You tend to press, tend to try to do too much. I don't get the vibe though, from talking to him that this is like, Castellanos 2.0, you know, from last year. You know, I, I feel like um, I feel like he's he's well adjusted to here. You know, Trey Turner is like I don't think he's uncomfortable. I don't think he is out of sorts. Um, he had pre-existing relationships with people like Bryce Harper and Kevin Long and Kyle Schwarber that I think uh, it, it's been easy for him to kind of fit in. I just don't think he's played that well, and I think he'll play better because he's a much better player than this. As Dave Dombrowski said to me yesterday, you know, the Phillies expect him to play better, and he's pretty sure that around baseball people are going to be pretty surprised if he doesn't play better because he's that good. So um, it's been a bad month and a half. There's no way around it, and uh, and he needs to be better than he's been. Scott, you're looking left with Schwarber. I mean, we know the average uh, not going to usually be there. Uh, last year he didn't have a high average but made a big impact. The impact's not the same uh, what are you seeing? Are there any thoughts about, hey, maybe a couple days off or once he possibly gets into a DH role? Why is he struggling uh, so much this year? Yeah, I'm not sure what the answer to that is. I mean, Kyle Schwarber as a hitter is what he is. You know, he's going to hit a lot of home runs. He's going to strike out a lot. He's going to walk a lot. He's kind of the, three, the perfect three-true outcome guy. Uh, and you're right, um, without the shift, I think everyone thought that the batting average would tick up a little bit. You know, some of those 
balls that he would hit uh, on the ground to the right side were going to suddenly get through because uh, there was no outfielder playing shallow, uh, no infielder playing shallow right field anymore. There was more of a hole there. That really hasn't happened as much as they would have expected. So I don't know what it is, but, you know, I mean, look, the trend for better or worse, the trend for Kyle Schwarber is that, you know, June is kind of when he heats up. Uh, He's prone to slow starts, started slow last year, you know, and he wound up, you know, not hitting for a high average, but he did end up leading the league in home runs. So I would say, you know, um, it's starting to get to be that time of year. I mean, we're, past the midpoint of May, June's right around the corner, and uh, this tends to be the time when he tends to get hot, and they could certainly use that. Yeah, that's going to be something to keep an eye on there. Let's go over to center where Marsh was a story in April, and some people wanted to see more of him. Pache was getting at bats, and it was like, ah, stop platooning this guy. Let him play. Well, now he's playing every day, and he's you know about 100 points down in the batting average. Does he a guy that needs to be platooned or at least lessened against lefties? Um, probably too early to say that for sure. I mean, I was definitely one of the ones who was saying, why are you platooning this guy? You have to figure out uh, if he can hit lefties, and the only way to figure that out is to let him play against lefties in a, uh, on a pretty regular basis for a little while. So I think we're still into that into that process of trying to figure it out. I mean, there's no doubt that there was going to be some regression for him. He wasn't going to hit 400 or whatever he was hitting um, for a good chunk of April. He wasn't going to do that over the course of a full season. Bryson Stott, same thing, wasn't going to have, you know, he started the season with, what, a 17-game hitting streak. Um, there was going to be some regression there. So you're seeing a little bit of that out of those guys. Uh, but, yeah, no, I think they still need to – turn Marsh loose as they have been against lefties as well as righties to see if he can be an everyday center fielder. And if he can't, you know, then you make an adjustment. But I don't think the sample is big enough yet to draw that conclusion. All right, let's look at uh, the pitching staff. You mentioned before Scott Lauber covers the Phillies for the Philadelphia Inquirers here. Bailey Falter was in that five spot. I've got to get – look, he was bad, uh, you, you know, but I said the, the, the anger towards him seems misguided because – you got other problems. If you're complaining about your fifth starter, that's a whole other can of worms. The problem with Falter is they don't have a replacement for him. So I'm not saying you just keep running him back out there. You know he's 0 and 10, 0 and 13. But do they? What, what do they do if they don't have an answer for the guy? Yeah, I mean, look, a lot of teams have a fifth starter problem. Uh, the Phillies are not alone in that, but a lot of teams have, you know, options in AAA that they can turn to in case their fifth starter. Um, struggles and Phillies don't have that either. You know, they've got, um, uh, you know, Christopher Sanchez, who has not pitched well in AAA and Michael Plassmeyer, who hasn't pitched well so far this year in AAA. And so, you know, they have to decide what to do about that fifth spot for Sunday. Um, and, you know, some of that is going to depend on what happens tonight and tomorrow. So I think if the bullpen is not over stressed, the next two days, they could go with some sort of a bullpen game, whether that's just a straight bullpen game, patch it together for nine innings with relievers, whether that's use an opener and then use Matt Strom behind the opener as kind of a, you know, three inning bulk uh, reliever. Um, Those are options. And then, you know, going down and getting someone from the minor leagues and Rob Thompson hinted the other day in San Francisco that if they call somebody up, it might be someone who's not on the 40 man roster, which, um, the name to kind of uh, 
keep in mind there, I think, is Noah Skiro. He is a triple-A. Uh, he's probably been the best pitcher at Lehigh Valley, starting pitcher. He is not on the 40-man roster. He pitched well in spring training at the WBC for Team Canada. He has pitched pretty well until his last start. Um, the other day for Lehigh Valley, it would be his turn uh, to go on Sunday. So I think if the bullpen is stressed, that's a that's potentially a direction that they could go if they need to find a starter for Sunday. But it's you know it's to me it's about more than just Sunday. You know it's what do you do every fifth day from here on out right. uh, until until either Bailey Falter gets it together in AAA and you bring him back. Or you're able to, you know, I, look. I thought I thought that they were going to probably have to put starting pitching high on their list of things to do before the trade deadline. The trade deadline's August first. We got a long way to go from here to there. Um, Andrew Painter is not close to pitching in competitive situations yet. He's still uh, playing catch down in Florida. Um, Griff McGarry was someone who might have been an option here. He was slowed by an injury early in spring training. In his first. Uh, or early in, in the season and it's first kind of getting getting going down in the minor leagues right now. So they're going to have to figure some stuff out in that spot. Um, that's really where the problem lies there. But like you said, you have bigger issues, and Taiwan Walker is a bigger issue. You know, he's he's your number three or four starter right now, and he's got an ERA of six and a half. And a lot of teams have a fifth starter problem, but not a lot of teams have a third starter problem. And right now, the Phillies need to figure him out as well. Yeah, and there's some of the you know when I talk about look, I know Falter stinks. I'm not sitting here trying to stick up for him, but I'm more concerned about Walker. Is he going to turn around? Can I get more consistency from Nola? Can I get more consistency from Walker? And if you don't think the answers are yes to those questions, then I feel you could be concerned about this team. But if you think those guys can turn it around. Is Falter and some of these other issues as magnified? Probably not. Right. You know, and, and look, I, I think Wheeler and Nola have already started to kind of uh, level a little bit, you know, pitch more to their level and, and uh, shake off some of that early season, whatever it was. But, you know, the, the, you know, the other thing is starting pitching has changed uh, this year. You know, the, the pitch clock has changed a lot of things, and I think what you're seeing around the league is that uh, – Pitching's harder, you know. I think the numbers are up across the league right now, um, uh, even with some of the better pitchers. I mean, look at what the Phillies did to Sandy Alcantara back in April, you know, and he has not – he's the reigning Cy Young winner, and he has not pitched well down in Miami. There are a lot of good pitchers who are having trouble right now slowing the game down. When there are runners on base, they don't have as much time, things move a lot faster, and they're – you know, a, uh, a two-out rally can turn into a huge inning very, very quickly. So – um, there's been an adjustment period, and I think Nola and Wheeler were in that camp a little bit early on where they were trying to figure out how to navigate some things. Uh, but I think that they've, for the most part, they've they've done that and they've leveled. You know, now they get Suarez back. Tonight will be his second start coming off the IL, and they're hopefully going to get him back in the mix and, and pitching like he did last year. That'll help quite a bit. Uh, and they thought they had Taiwan Walker figured out. Um, he had two good starts in a row against the Red Sox and Rockies until they got to San Francisco, and he didn't survive the first inning the other day in San Francisco. So his command has been off. He's got to fix that, um, and they've got to get him right. And then if they do that, you know, you've got four starters that 
you feel like you can rely on um, and you can figure out the fifth starter thing. But they still have a ways to go from here to there. Well, Phil's back in town with the Cubs here this weekend. Scott Lauber from the Philadelphia Inquirer, kind enough to join us before the Phillies and Cubs meet. It is Ranger Suarez who's back. Good to see Ranger back. And who did I say earlier? It is Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman. I was right the first time. I blanked out on the second one. But Scott Lauber had it for me. Thanks for the pickup. Thanks for the assist, Scott. And thanks for jumping on. You bet. Anytime, Mike. Yeah, there's Scott Lauber, everybody. Good to catch up with Scott. He was out with the Phils and, of course, does a great job covering the Phillies as they get ready for the Cubbies this weekend back in town. Mike Gill, Sports Bash, live, 97.3 ESPN. Dan in Absecon says, happy hour Friday, boys. I'm going to be sipping Kate May's hard iced tea and hard lemonade by the fire pit tonight. Watching Butler spank Boston. That's Dan in EAT. Says Gillis is hysterical. Yeah, we're giving away tickets to Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino Resort. All you have to do for Happy Hour Friday, 609-403-0973, is send us a text with your Happy Hour Friday recommendation. What are you drinking this weekend for the Phil's? Little Phil's weekend? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Hit me with something good this weekend. You go with the uh, Cape May Hard Lemonade. That's what uh, Dan in Absecon's doing. I got a lot of texts here. I'm going to clean out a couple of them on the other side. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free. Now, back to Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Happy Hour Friday, Mike. Stop it. Will or not leaving the Blazers. I didn't say he was, but he has kind of had some, put it this way, the fans in Portland are giving Dame the Embiid treatment right now, where they're like, hey, trade Embiid. They're like, trade uh, Dame. We've had enough of them. So, yeah, well, no one's suggesting that they want to trade Dame Lillard. I think the fans have hit some frustration in Portland. I mean, he's been out there for, what, 10, 11 years, and they're not winning anything out there with him. They know it. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Football at four is on the way when Adam Kaplan joins me on the other side for a happy hour Friday edition of Football at Four. Cap's got his 53-man roster projection for the offensive side of the ball. Couple surprise names in the mix. We're going to go over that coming up on the Sports Bash Live. Who's in? Who's out? The 53-man look at the Eagles offense is next. And don't forget, coming up tonight... We got the sound of the day, 5 o'clock hour. Ryan's going to join me live. We're going to go over the all the scenarios, scenario A, B, and is there a C, D, E, F, and G for the Sixers this offseason. They interviewed former, or they are interviewing this week or weekend, I don't know when, according to Keith Pompey, former Raptors head coach Nick Nurse will be the first guy they interview to replace Doc Rivers. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. I have real confidence that our football operations uh, can once again create a dominant football team. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. 
Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Adam Kaplan's in the house today from InsideTheBirds.com and the Inside the Birds podcast. Speaking of the birds, you know, uh, former Eagle offensive lineman Shane Andrews is opening a smoothie shop in Ocean City. Apparently he owns uh, one up in Haddonfield, and they're going to be opening in Ocean City on May 25th. Shane Andrews, uh, brother of Sean oh. Andrews. Remember the Andrews brothers there, Adam Kaplan? Wait, sh- sh- I didn't even know. Well, wait, who is the state? Stacey Andrews, who also played for the Eagles, his, his younger brother, right? And then, or, or whatever, I don't know if Shane or, or if um, Sean. Sean, no, what did I say? No, Sean Andrews is opening the store. My bad. Okay, okay, okay. You, you're wearing me. Were there three Andrews? I didn't know there was no, a third. Sean Andrews uh, is opening oh, Sean the store. Oh, Sean, really? I didn't even know he was around here. So wow, he has a store that. in huh. Haddonfield. I don't know how much he works there, but I got a press release yeah. uh, that okay. basically said it's opening May 25th. Good. It's called uh, Smoothie Groovies. It's a movie-themed smoothie oh. store. Okay, well, look, would you say it was in Haddonfield? There's one in Haddonfield, and there's going to be one opening in Ocean City in a couple of, uh, May wow, 25th. Well, wow, two of them, wow, okay. Yeah. The short Andrews, Mike, unfortunately, as a football player, and just real quick, since you brought him up, the guy was, this was Andy Reid's guy for that, whatever year that was, 2003 or 2004, whenever he was drafted in the first round, he just never became the player they thought he was. It could it should have been because of, of major back problems and, it's a shame because when he was healthy, Mike, unbelievable football player. That that one, unfortunately, didn't work out like they had hoped. And you remember they signed his brother Stacy, thinking like this might help Sean get right in and, 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 and get over the challenges of being ready every week, but it just never happened. In fact, Stacy never was healthy here with the Eagles. Yeah, and then you remember Sean signed with the Giants and uh, basically did nothing with the Giants as well, and then he kind of flamed out and... There he was. Now he's a smoothie store operator. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah, who knew, right? I, I got this. I said, wait a second. Actually, it's funny because if you look over on our wall over here, there's an article up on the wall. I had Sean Andrews on the show when he got released. Uh-oh. And the Inquirer wrote an article about it, and nobody could reach him, so they used the quotes from our show. And uh-huh. this is however many years ago. But I, I, I was thinking to myself, wait, when you said Stacy, and I said, no, wait. I was confused myself for a second there, and I looked over to the wall. Sean Andrews was right. his name, not Shane. Shane. Yeah, Andrews. Shane. Maybe that was his wrestling name. I'm, I'm <laughs> no idea. Anyway. All right. Well, if he was at right guard, he might be in position to uh, be in battles uh, at this training yeah. camp because the Eagles have a right guard spot, and he was a good one. But let's take a look at your 53-man roster yeah. projections now. We got the guys in camp. We got guys doing some things. Let's go to quarterback. And uh, obviously we know Jalen Hurts there. We've got Marcus Mariota there. Uh, but what do we got behind those two? Yeah, so, Mike, the reason why we did this on Inside the Birds, like our Andrew Ducheco did his, and then Mosher and I did ours over a series of two shows. Uh, Jeff's and I are, are, are slightly different, but I could give you a, a little bit more insight here. And, uh, and again, this is only May. This is going to change once we get into uh, late July and early August, and then obviously late when we give our final projection, which we, we did last year. Uh, but, yeah, so at quarterback, now, Ian Book was claimed off waivers last year, and the Eagles you never cut him. Now, he he rarely, if at all, was active for any games, but the fact that they kept him on the roster, it tells you they really like him. Why? He's athletic. He fits their scheme. Super smart. Uh, problem is, not great arm strength. He's a smaller guy. And then now his battle will be against Tanner McKee, their six-round pick out of Stanford, who's a completely different quarterback. Big, doesn't move that well. It's a statue, but it's got a really good arm. 
it's it, and, and, and I and I know this is out there. A lot of um, people went to our uh, after he was drafted. People asked us uh, on our uh, YouTube message board, our our community board. Hey, you know what? What this is, doesn't make any sense with Tyler McKee. And what I would tell people: listen, if you've got a grade here and, and it works in the sixth round, you don't have to like say, well, he doesn't fit our scheme, so let's not draft him. That you don't do that. You go by what your board tells you. And they had a six round grade on him, I believe, and they took him there. But again. Ian Book, to me, is a guy they invested in last year, and I'm going to give the early edge to Ian Book. Yeah, we got uh, the quarterback spot, pretty good spot with with Hurts and Mariota, who started a lot of games, and, of course, down the road, as you you mentioned, Book. Running back, I think this one's going to be interesting. Yep. We know they saw, they traded for Swift. They signed Penny. And then after that, you got Gamewell. You got Boston Scott. You got Trey Sermon here. You got Kennedy Brooks, who was an undrafted kid out of Oklahoma. So uh, what does it look like behind Swift and Penny? Yeah, so Boston Scott will make the roster. He's got the he's got the most guaranteed money of all the running backs with this contract. I, I don't have five. See, when you're trying to put together initial fifty three, this is just like the NFL teams go through. If you go heavy, let's just say you want to go with five running backs. Well, you can't go with six receivers, and you're going to have to go thinner on one of the offensive line positions, which you can do. We'll get to that in a second. I had a little bit of a challenge trying to figure out whether they should keep eight or nine, but I'm going to keep only four. Swift, of course. On the final year of his rookie deal, no guaranteed money. Rashad Penny, a very small guarantee in his contract. Uh, Kenny Gainwell, of course, on the third year of his four-year rookie deal. And Boston Scott, who got a decent guarantee in this deal. Now, I, I, as much as the coaches like Trey Sermon, Mike, you can't keep five. You just can't do it. Now, they've had five running backs on the roster at a given point in a season. But for five to make it, it would be, it would be surprising to me. And Kenny Brooks has no shot. Uh, so uh, I'm going to put Trey Sermon uh, 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 as the fifth guy. Now, let, let me before we move to, to wide receiver. Let, let's say that Swift is hurt in training camp. Rashad Penny's on is hurting a little bit, and they don't want to put these guys in IR. Then yes, Trey Sermon can make the roster. All right. Well, uh, Sermon was a guy, yeah, that they brought over here last year. Some people thought, hey, that's a nice pickup. Never really saw him much. And uh, Adam says we might not see much of him this year either unless there's some injury issues. Let's go to Ryan Receiver because the last couple, um, you know, we talked about this with Jeff earlier in the week and maybe you last week, but A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, and then after that you got Zacchaeus, you got Watkins. What's the the next group of guys? And then if Brown and Smith ended up getting hurt for some reason, there's not a lot of veteran depth here. So what is this receiver room going to look like? Yeah, and they may not be done here by the start of training camp. We'll see late in July when everybody reports if they add another veteran. But So it's Brown and Smith. Alameda Sakias will be should be their three. He's going to battle against Watkins for it. I fully expect Sakias to, to win that, particularly if they don't sign anyone else. Now, this is where I, it, it was a challenge for me. I took a little bit of extra time. They've got Greg Ward, who's now with the team on and off for six seasons, which just seems to be ridiculous, but yes. They've got kid Tyree Cleveland, who's been around a little bit, sort of a young journeyman. Devin Allen, who we, we had mentioned on our show late last season, they want to bring him back, and they want him to work as a receiver. We know he could kick return, but they'd like to see if he could be a receiver. they got the kid, undrafted free agents, Jaden Hasselwood, and one of the more intriguing undrafted wide receiver free agents here is Joe Nada uh, out of Clemson, who's a big body, and he's he's got good length. And the one thing the Eagles don't have are tall receivers. A.J. Brown, despite him playing bigger than his listed size, is not even 6'1". Smith is 6' even. Zacchaeus is under 5'9". Watkins is 6' even. Britton Covey, who's there, should make it as their punt returner. Not a lock, but should make it. He's smaller. So I got Nada making it. So right now I got Brown, Smith, Zacchaeus, Watkins, Covey. Okay, Covey. Now I could change my mind if... 
Devin Allen has a great training camp, and maybe maybe they find someone else, maybe a corner who could return punts. But right now I've got Covey as the five, and Joe Nada, that's my surprise. i got Joseph Nada as of now as a six. Yeah, very interesting. All right, an undrafted rookie free agent making the team as a wide receiver, and that would be over Greg Ward, who they I guess they always have on speed dial uh, there. All right, let's go to tight end. This is an interesting room because Dallas Goddard we know, but we thought in the – draft they could have gone down that road they did not jack stall greg calcaterra tyree jackson they signed dan arnold there's a couple other young players on this roster so what will that room look like so goddard goddard's obviously the starter jack stall's the young question number two why tight end also why he's so important because he's an inline blocker it gives them when they go with 12 personnel the ability for goddard to to, to run routes Grant Calcaterra will battle against Dan Arnold and Tyree Jackson for the third tight end job. I don't see them keeping four. Really hard to do that. I'm going to give a small edge again. We're in we're we're in May here. Small edge to Grant Calcaterra because if you remember when Goddard got hurt, Stahl and Calcaterra did not do a bad job. We were slightly surprised by their production. It was a great production, but I would call it serviceable production. Now you had Tyree Jackson who was finally healthy, Mike. And he showed a willingness to block. Remember, he's 6'7". Uh, Moshe and I were at, at Eagles Dolphins camp in, um, in Fort Lauderdale last year. And I could tell you, Jackson put a lot of mass on his body. Remember, he was rehabbing his ACL injury then. No, he's totally healthy. And he'll push for that job. But right now we're getting a slate. I'm going to give a slate push for Grant Calcaterra as a three. Okay. Uh, so that one's one to keep an eye on, though. Obviously, they like Jackson. Arnold, they sign. Uh, so keep an eye on the tight end spot. Football at four. Adam Kaplan's here from the Inside the Birds podcast, InsideTheBirds.com. Now, we know the guard spot. This is a big one uh, where we're going to be watching pretty much all summer long what happens here. We think, I don't know, someone could emerge right off the bat. But how do you see uh, that guard position? Yeah, obviously, we know who the starters are going to be. Well, I shouldn't say that. We know one starter is going to be Landon Dickerson. That's a lock. Now, the right guard position, we know it's Tyler Steen, it's Jurgens, and Jack Driscoll. I, I've said this. You know, I, I mentioned this on our show after the draft. I said I'd be stunned if Steen doesn't win it. Um, they're opening the job up, but Steen, I know he's never played it. Uh, the, so, so why would I be surprised if he doesn't win it? Because this is a... This is what we call a Jeff Stoutland special. This is his guy. He's convinced he could play right guard. He's not played it before. I get that. Cam Jurgens is very limited playing guard. He got some snaps last year in practice, but he's really built for center. Jack Driscoll can do it. But here's why, Mike. I don't think it'll be Driscoll. Jack Driscoll can play guard because he's done for it. And, and he said the way it's explained to me is that Jack Driscoll's the kind of guy, if you need him to play guard for 46 weeks, you could get away with it. The longer you go, though, he becomes exposed because he's not a power player. Tyler Steen's got better length. I, for his height, he's 6'6", but he doesn't have the great arm length that you'd like to have. That's why he's, he's kicking inside. He's not going to play left tackle. But Tyler Steen has good functional strength, I'm told, to play inside. So I'm going to so I'm gonna go really not to Steen, but your, your guards will be on the roster. I've got five. Dickerson, Steen. Now, Jurgens obviously will be the backup to Kelsey if he doesn't win it. Driscoll, now, as of now, I'm putting Sua Petta, who's been a good find for the Eagles. Uh, he's been on and off the roster for a couple years, since 2019, I think it was, or 2020. I'm going to keep him on the roster for now, but I have the, the, the ability to change it if I feel I need to. But right now I've got a Petta 
as that fifth guard. Yeah, and he's got some experience. Uh, he started a handful of games. In fact, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Opeta had to start that playoff game against Tampa when Brandon Brooks got hurt, I think, uh, back then. I think you're right, Mike. Yep, you're, you're right. In fact, if you remember, that's when Josh Sweat had that medical issue before the game, and yeah, that was a tough one. So that would be guard, that would be guard, and then at center, obviously, is Kelsey and Cameron Tom won't make it though he has experience. And then the big question now: this is this is the toughest one. Who are going to be the backups at tackle at both spots? Because that that's going to be the the, the issue. Yeah, and you know, mentioned you mentioned Kelsey. They do have Cameron Tom on the team, uh, you, but they would go to Jurgen if Kelsey. Let's say Jurgens gets the he's the right guard. He's the okay. starter. Let's yeah. say Kelsey, for whatever reason, got hurt. You, they don't like to move guys around, but in this case, would they do that? It's a great question. It's a great question. And now, if I recall correctly, Driscoll may have taken snaps in his career at center. It might have been it because he was a transfer from UMass to then to Auburn. That's a great question. I don't know that. It's it's actually in the back of my mind, but I feel strongly Jurgens won't 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 be starting at guard. But if, let's say by a surprise he does beat out Steen and Driscoll. It's a great question to me. They would probably would have to sign a veteran. Cameron Tom is a I hate to call him a veteran, but he's a guy who's been around for a while with the, with the Dolphins, Saints, and now Eagles. Maybe then Tom would make. But the problem is. If he does, that means Sua Pettit probably couldn't make it. You, you can't keep 10 offensive linemen because they're going to have some major challenges, which we're going to talk about on Tuesday's show, Mike, with my defensive roster. Boy, that, that one took me longer. I know you guys had talked about me saying that it took me for like 10 minutes to do the cornerback group. It's actually true because it was a numbers problem. And this is the kind of stuff that goes in, in personnel meetings about when teams know that they're too heavy to position and they don't want to put a guy through waivers. That's that's always a challenge. All right, let's look at that tackle spot that you hinted at because we know Mylotta and Lane Johnson. This seems like, you know, there's a couple positions where this seems similar. Wide receiver, corner, where you got two good starters, but if somebody gets hurt, you got Mylotta and, and Lane, if someone gets hurt, then what? Yeah, that's the billion-dollar question. This is another tough one. And I just, I, I ran, a, I, I, there was a numbers problem, so of course it's Mylotta, it's Lane Johnson. Now, Fred Johnson is the most experienced guy out of all of them. So they got Brett Toth. He's barely played, Mike. He's had major injury problems. The Eagles must love this guy. Now, as I understand it, this is a guy that Stoutland loved coming out when, he, when Toth came out of Army. Remember when, the, when they cut him, they thought they could sneak him through the practice squad, and the Cardinals claimed him. I know that bothered the Eagles. They would wind up getting him back. The Cardinals would then cut him a year later. They brought him back. He's had an ACL injury, but he's back. He'll have a chance to put, uh, push Fred Johnson. And by the way, Toth has taken snaps at guard before, so he, he could push for a spot. But Fred Johnson, I remember he did start some games for the Bengals. He could play left tackle. He could play right tackle. So I'm going to give the swing tackle job right now to Fred Johnson. So that means Roderick Jones, excuse me, Roderick Johnson, Brett Toth, Julian Good-Jones. Is, <laughs> he was actually on the Eagles roster in 2020, offseason roster. Chim Okafor, Okafor, who's an undrafted free agent. Trevor Reed, also an undrafted free agent. Who Moshe and I talked about on our show after the draft, and we kind of talked about it for five minutes. This guy's been – he's played He played for like like five college programs. He's a little bit older. But he, to me, would be a better practice squad guy. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we're taking a look at the Eagles' offensive uh, 53. Uh, obviously, uh, this offense should be pretty good. Not a lot of changes, as you just heard yep. there. This is basically the same offense coming back except for right guard and running back. But Jason Kelsey did say the other day that they lost the smartest player I've be- ever been around. 
Is that right guard, and we take it for granted that, that you know, that, hey, someone's going to step in there and they're going to get similar production, or is that going to be something that we're talking about, you think, during the season? Oh, you mean, wait, so he was talking about Isaac Samalo? Yes, he was quoted really? uh, the other day. He said he's the smartest player huh. I've ever been around. Wow, that's interesting, because the thing with Isaac was, it was actually one of our first shows that we did in the spring of 2018. It was one of our kind of small scoops. We said that, I know, you know, we, we said that Saimala was a disaster his first two years. He just lost his confidence. And the Eagles were really wondering privately if he'd ever make it. And then he had a great offseason in 18. He won the job. Yeah, he's a good football player. He's been hurt a lot. He's, you know, he's around 30 now. Uh, so that's interesting that Jason said that. I, I was not aware of that. Um, yeah, that, see, I don't, they must think, Mike, that Steen has this really ability to, to handle moving inside. It's not so easy. People think like, oh, it's, easy to play tackle it's not i mean it, it, i mean sorry excuse me to go from left tackle to guard no it's not no, not todd harriman's did it going from now it took him he's usually you do not like tall guards you, you rather them be six three six four more compact steam is longer but as i what we've heard he's got a little bit of a toughness to him so we'll see uh we'll see but again um that that's fair to say about isaac uh say malo but the eagles didn't really make a play to bring him back and you know, Harry Roseman did say, if you recall, more than once, you kind of like to talk about this, they're going to lose a lot of good players, and they wanted comp picks, and they're going to get some next Now, week. did you see Bradbury talk this week? He was asked about the you know, the, the defense. He said, uh, so far, the scheme has been pretty similar to what they were under Gannon. Well, they're running the exact scheme. They're running the Fangio scheme. They're both disciples of Vic Fangio, yep. uh, in a way. I mean, John Gannon, he, he, he learned that... He decided to go with the Fangio scheme because of Brandon Staley, who's this good buddy, who's very close, a protege of, of, uh, of Fangio, and he, he decided he was going to run the Fangio scheme, and it, and it certainly worked. And now, Sean Desai, who you know, he's got roots at Temple. He, he, he worked in this area. He knows he knows everything, and but he also is aware. You better if you're going to blitz, you got to blitz at the right time, and that's I know we know the fans. You know, it's the thing that the fans had an issue with, and it's fair because it's factual. We'll see. All I can tell you is, Mike, play callings at art, whether it's offense or defense, you have to know when to pull the trigger. The, the late, great Jim Johnson, it wasn't the, the amount of times he did it. He just knew when to do it. And he also had a, he knew how to break down protection. And Desai was only a D coordinator in 2021. John Filippo, we spoke to uh, John about him. Uh, Desai, he said he did a pretty good job. He was impressed with him. Uh, you, you read the 33rd team, correct? Oh, yeah. I know them very well. This guy's very well, yeah. Uh, uh, Chuck Pagano did his top five defenses entering uh, post-draft and everything. He wrote this the other day. He has the Eagles as the second-best defense in the league. Ooh. Yeah. A little surprise. My huh? only problem, Mike, my only problem, we're going to talk more about this on Tuesday. I'll give you a little bit of a preview. And it's very rare. I was talking to a, a high-ranking NFL executive about this. We were talking about the Eagles roster last week. And he said the one issue you have, and, and the teams do studies, is it's very rare for two 30-year-old corners to, to, to hold up for an entire season. It, this guy said he would not do that, what the Eagles did. He just didn't agree with it, but he understands it. Look, the guys are very good. The Eagles have a great pass rush. It's not what the Eagles have done at corners, not for everybody. And we'll see. We'll see if these guys hold up. There you go. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. We And we've talked about it. Like, hey, they got two good corners, but if one of those guys get hurt, you don't got a lot behind them. So, uh, and we will be talking about that, Mike, just so you know, that's going to be a major focus. When we get the corner and, uh, on Tuesday, 
you're going to hear me talk about that because that's exactly my problem with that position, the lack of, of quality depth there. All right. That's uh, over at Inside the Birds uh, podcast. You can get that on all your podcasting platforms. And uh, don't forget to check the guys out over at InsideTheBirds.com. He's Adam Kaplan here on a happy hour Friday. Adam, enjoy the weekend, pal. You, you too. Thanks. Adam's back on Tuesday here for another edition of Football at Four on the Sports Pass Live 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We got sound of the day coming up. Uh, watched the game last night. LA's up. And they can't hold the lead. Denver comes back. Not because of Nikola Jokic scoring and being unstoppable. And he had a part of it. Like, I, he had how many assists in that fourth quarter, I wonder. I don't know, actually. Depends, I guess. Um, but I thought Jokic did a good job setting up... But the barrage of threes from Murray. The Sixers just don't have that guy. It just goes bombs away. I mean, Murray had 23 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, he was unbelievable. But when you watch those two guys play the pick and roll, that's a different pick and roll than the one the Sixers are running, right? <laughs> that guy's bombing away. Bang! How many? I mean, I thought Breen was going to lose his mind last night. You know, Murray... Another example, he was missing shot after shot after shot. 12 of 17 he missed in the first three quarters of the game. He goes six for seven in the fourth with four daggers. <laughs> Man, LeBron James said it. He made shots, make, miss. Why did they win that game last night? They had Murray, the other team didn't. Jamal Murray, big fourth quarter. Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. We'll dive into the game a little bit. We got sound of the day coming up. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. By the way, some sad news in the NFL. Uh, one of the greats, all-time great running back, Jim Brown, has passed away at the age of 87. Many people believe that Jim Brown, not just a great, maybe the greatest running back of all time. More Sports Bash coming up. Now, a sports bash on 97.3 ESPN. 4.30 on a Friday. Happy hour Friday, everybody. We got tickets to give away for happy hour Friday. People are sending in their happy hour Friday. Oh, I just got one. A cane brewing party wave. I've had the cane brewing party wave. That's a good one. Good send by you. Josh from Cape May. We got tickets to give away. For Happy Hour Friday today, give us a good suggestion for Happy Hour Friday, and we'll put you in for a chance to win those tickets to see comedian Shane Gillis over at Ocean Casino Resort this summer. A pair of tickets will be yours. All you got to do, Happy Hour Friday. Tell us what you're drinking. Give me a good suggestion. If you're hanging out, it doesn't have to be a uh, a beverage of choice. Could be a soda. Could be a uh, a water. But what are you doing? Somebody said going to Harry the Cage tonight. Pop one back for Josh's birthday. Do you have any of those highlights uh, yesterday? I uh, I tried these. I've had two of them so far. I had the one was called the, the Florida Man. Florida Man, yep. And then I also had the uh, the Jailai. That's a uh, highlight. Is a highlight? It's a highlight. Cigar City. Look like a J on the. It on is the a J, J, but it's pronounced high. Ah, okay. It is a J. You, you didn't read it wrong. It looked like a J, but it's not pronounced J. Well, you know, the box needs to come for a pronunciation guy for idiots like me, yes. okay? It's called highlight. <laughs> the 
I, I like the high lie more than the Florida man. Yeah, I've had the Florida man before. It's meh. Now, I haven't tried the other version of it because there's two versions of it in that pack. There's the regular Florida man and the Florida man down under. So I got to try the down under still. Try it out. But so far, I, I like the high lie more than – the Florida man is not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. It, it was an interesting it, – it's it's a very hoppy citrus. Like it. So it's like the, the Florida man is kind of like, you know, whoa, there's hops here. Whereas the high lie is more like a smooth operator. Yeah, I like the high lie. Uh, they have one called high low as well as I've uh, pointed out on this show many times. But the high low – I like the high lie I like. I just can't have too many high lies because I'll be feeling low the next day. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> well, people might be feeling high or low, depending on who you ask about James Harden. A lot of people say putting their thoughts into the equation about James Harden. Let's first start with today on 97.3 ESPN. Chris Canny and Chris Carlin were filling in for Greeny this morning. And Canty... He has a his own rationalization for why Harden will be in Houston next season. This is again today on 97.3 ESPN. I think he tried it with the Brooklyn and Philadelphia experiments. They failed. So he's going to go back to his comfort zone. If he's not going to win a championship, he cannot win a championship in his favorite city, which is Houston. Talk about a guy that's going to be 34 next year. So if he's going to be getting max money, like being able to make that kind of scratch over the next four or five years into your late 30s, God bless him. I didn't think there was going to be a team out there that would give him that kind of money. And I can't help but think because of where the Rockets fell in the lottery that they pivoted from focusing on building around one of those top three players to potentially using James Harden as the veteran presence for young guys like Jamari Smith and Jalen Green. The whole thing with the Rockets, as he mentioned, what are you going to do with these young guys, Jamari Smith, Jalen Green? The whole thing with the Rockets thing, if I'm the Rockets, I don't want him there. It just makes no sense to me why the Rockets would pursue him. But did Ime Udoka go in that mo- that meeting and pitch them on James Harden? And that's part of what's going on here. Like you mentioned in the first hour, Mike. How much is Udoka influencing some of this? Could be. I mean, that's the thing I don't have a strong idea of, of what their relationship was like. I'm sure it'll come out and be reported by someone, hey, they had a good relationship. That's why he wanted to get paired back up. But keep this in mind. On Christmas Day, when that report came out, you had no idea Doku was going to be the coach there. That is true. So, so he wanted to go, reportedly, had some had his eye back on Houston before Doku got named the coach there. Yeah, and people keep bringing up the fact that he's, his mom is still down there, that he's comfortable down there. Listen, maybe Kansi's right. Maybe Harden says, you know what, I tried this. I tried it with OKC. I tried it with Chris Paul. I tried it with Durant and Kyrie. I tried it with Embiid. This winning a championship thing is not for me. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe that's his thinking. I don't, like I said, I'm of the belief, Mike, and I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm of the belief that Harden is just not your normal basketball player. He's not like most NBA players. His, what's important to him and where his mindset is is different than what most people is and what's important to him is important to others. So this doesn't surprise me. Listen, if he goes there and decides, I just want to be comfortable, I want to move back home, I don't fault the guy for him, but it kind of furthers what we talk about with him. Is that, uh, does he really care about winning a championship? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. You know, there's some people who love the game of basketball. Some people love what the game of basketball does for their bank account. 
Yeah, and I mean, listen, he was a great player. He was fun to watch. He was a tremendous scorer for a good chunk of that uh, Houston run. But he, quite frankly, there was talk about him in Brooklyn and when he was in Houston, not in the greatest shape. I think even this year, he's not like this trim, thin guy. I mean, he was in better shape this year than in recent years. Yes. I mean, but still, I mean, he's still, you know, people question whether or not he's in the best shape, you know? Well, it's not always physical shape, it's also mental shape. You know, I think that you saw in game six and seven that he mentally was not in a good place and it impacted the game. Speaking of people who played for the Sixers. Charles Barkley was on your buddy Mike Missinelli's podcast, and Mikey Miss asked Barkley. Did you listen to the whole pod? I only listened to part of it, honestly. Hmm. I, I didn't get through the whole pod. Oh, I was just saying. So. Like, I was wondering if you listened to it. And this is where you heard because I didn't hear that episode yet. Yeah, I, I start. I got through half the pod, and then I, I had other things I had to do. But I will be finishing it tonight. But Barkley Miss and I was saying, hey, you know, what do you think? Sixers, they like, keep Harden. Should Harden leave? Should, what should the Sixers do? Barkley gave Mikey Miss his thoughts. The Harden decision is very easy. I think they got to move on from James. That's my personal opinion. Like If they do something stupid like extend him, that'll be the end of the Sixers for the next five years. Uh, but, but that's the big decision they got to make. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. But they got to move on from James Harden. You know... It's interesting he says that because it's almost like Charles is suggesting that if they sign James Harden, you've essentially gone right back to where you started. Right. You're going to be good for the next four or five years, but you know you're not going to be good enough. Exactly. The whole point of doing what they did was you didn't just want to be good enough you wanted to try to win championships. Now, you can't guarantee anybody's going to win a championship ever. It's a business decision to try to get the fans excited about the start of a season. If you're not excited about a start of a season, you, you, you have no hope. Sixers fans are now excited at the start of every season because they are hopeful that maybe this is the year that Joel Embiid breaks through. And But... Charles saying that kind of sounds like you bring him back, you know what you are now for the next four years. You're a team that goes to the second round and gets knocked out, which is exactly what you were before you had James Harden. And, and honestly, when I first heard it, I was surprised that Charles was so overt about it because, you know, Barkley has always been the kind of guy who, you know, if you, if you watch inside the NBA enough, you know that he tends to take the position with some of these players like Hey man, I used to be the I, I'm the guy that everyone says didn't win a championship. I know what these guys are going through. You know, he tends to have a little sympathy for these guys in situations, and for him to just come out and just be like, you know what, Sixers gotta let him go. You know, for you're, you're not going anywhere. For him to be that definitive about it really tells me that maybe there is something to this whole idea of you know maybe it's not just. You know, people like me, you know, sitting at the local establishment on Sunday. Well, we saw apparently former players are seeing something oh, similar. I mean, Kendrick Perkins has killed the guy. Well, I got more for Perkins coming up as well. Yeah. Because Perkins is saying that Harden shouldn't just be in Philadelphia and Bede should want him out this morning on first take. Kendrick Perkins continues to go in on James Harden. I think Joel and Bede should want Harden to walk. 
I think he deserves better than James Harden. And if it comes down to Harden making the making a decision on who the coach is going to be, I believe Joel Embiid should force his way out. Because here's the thing. It's bad enough that they didn't consult or even ask Joel Embiid about Doc Rivers or whether or not he wanted to keep Doc Rivers. That was insulting right there because this is your league MVP. This is your franchise guy. He has led the league and scored two years in a row. You at least have to ask him. This is not about James Harden. And this is the problem that I have. If I'm Joel Embiid, is nowhere in hell I'm trusting Daryl Moore with the love affair that he has with James Harden that he's going to do right by Joel Embiid. I mean, listen, the one thing that is definitive here from Kendrick Perkins is he thinks that um, Harden is, is, needs to be, needs to go. Yes. Yeah. He's very consistent. He's no sugarcoating that. <laughs> he thinks that hard it needs to go. But how do you feel about the part of him saying Embiid should want that? That Embiid should be, you know, maybe he wasn't saying Embiid should advocate for it, but he should say basically, you know, Embiid should be like, look, you choose him or me. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, yeah, there's a party that wonders whether Embiid's starting to think like, hey, how did you choose this guy over me? You're, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. And here's the thing. I don't know if Joel, because Joel Embiid at the end of the press conference said, or at some point of the press conference, I don't know when it was, beginning, middle, end, but I, it, I don't, I'm not here to comment on James. That's up to him. I'm going to stay out of that. But. Here, I got that audio right here. So this is Joel Embiid about, and when he asked about the Harden situation. I don't know what's going on, and I know he has a player option, so um, um, they can extend him. Uh, so uh, that's on, you know, those guys who, you know, figured it out. Uh, I'm going to stay out of it, but I still believe that, you know, me and them, and we got the chance to win. Yeah, we got the chance to win, me and him. So do you buy at the end? Is that his endorsement? We have a chance to win, me and him, but I'm staying out of this thing. So it's I don't not, know. Is he saying, "Yeah, do what you want, but we have a chance to win? But is that his recommendation that, yes, we are, um, we can win the, the pair? Put it this way. He did, like we talk about with um, Harden when he was asked about Rivers and he was basically like, eh, it's okay. Right. It wasn't a ringing endorsement. Right, that was not a ringing endorsement by Embiid. Right, did Embiid give a ringing endorsement? Not necessarily. No, I I think Embiid was trying to answer the question in the most, you know, diplomatic way he possibly could. I think that, I think to me at least, it's obvious that the Embiid-Harden partnership, it was a nice attempt, they tried to make it work, and... Despite the regular season success that they had and B winning league MVP, Harden leading the league in assists per game, I don't think that it's it's clear that Harden is the guy who can help him be win a championship. The problem becomes too, it's like okay, you have the MVP, you have the scoring leader and the assist leader. If you can't like what do you take from the fact that you had these pieces on your team? You take from it that it's less about you know, regular season accomplishment than it is about if you are. Remember the comment that you you and Tim McMahon talked about this a couple months ago 
here on on I think it was back in March. It's either March or April when McMahon was on with you from ESPN.com. He said, and you agree with him, is that there are eighty-two game guys and there are sixteen game guys. Yeah, we're talking about PJ Tucker, right? So, is part of the problem with the Sixers is that they don't have enough sixteen game guys? That they have too many eighty-two game guys, and that when push came to shove, the only real sixteen, the only real sixteen game guy on the roster last season was PJ Tucker. I don't. I'm not ready to say Embiid isn't a sixteen game guy. But Did I he would, played poorly in Game Seven. Sure, right. I also again don't know what he how healthy he was, but whatever. He he has. We're acting like Embiid has just been horrible in in every playoff game he's ever played in. I mean, I was going through Embiid's list of games the other day. Okay, in the playoffs, mm-hmm. Joel Embiid has had some monster playoff games. Absolutely, we're acting like Joel Embiid has just been a stiff. Now against Atlanta, um, he had forty points. 13 rebounds in a game against Atlanta. Another game against Atlanta. He had 39 points in a game against Atlanta. Another game against Atlanta. He had 37. So in three games in that series, he had 40, 39, and 37. I mean, it sounds to me like he gave the play. I mean, you score 40, 39, and 37 in the same series. Well, that's why I asked. It's, to me, it's not in B. It's the roster. It's the fact that I don't know if there's enough people around him. Against Boston, by the way. 34, another game against Boston. 34, another game against Boston. 33. Right. Against Toronto, he scored 33, 33, 33, 31, and 31. So he's had some monster games. Against Brooklyn, 31. Against Boston, 31. Against Boston, 30. Against Boston, 30. Against Boston, 30. Against Boston, 30. Against Boston, 27. Against Atlanta, 27. So in the Atlanta series, he scored 27, 37, 39, and 40. Right. So So he's had some monster games in these playoffs. He just, the question is, can he have it in the big game, the seventh game? When it's the deciding game, it's a fair question. Now, some of those games, the one Atlanta game was a game seven. Right. I go back to the roster. If you don't put the right people around your superstar, what's the point? He can keep having 30, 40 point games. Right. But, if- but my point is, I'm not ready to say Embiid is a 82 game player over a 16 game player. I think he's both. I think he Fair. can be both. Uh, and I don't disagree with that. My position is that. I don't think that there were enough 16-game players on this roster last year. Well, that's year. fair. I mean, T- Tobias Harris isn't a 16-game player. Correct. Um, Maxie, I don't know what he is. I'm the angle. I mean, these guys, the the the, the role playing, the bench guys. I, I, you don't know what you're getting from them. They're they're that's why they're bench guys. Well, the, the point is that you look at a team like Miami. You know, people focus on Jimmy Butler so much. Well, in that first game when they won. Max Strus, Gabe Vincent, and Kayla Martin all were firing from three and putting up big clutch shots in that win. Where's the Caleb Martin on the Sixers? Where's the Gabe Vincent on the Sixers? We thought it was DeAnthony Melton. Where's had the a couple uh, games. Bruce Brown? Right. Where's the Bruce Brown from the Nuggets, right? It's you need the other dudes as well. You know, when Jordan, Jordan, one of Jordan's most famous plays was passing to Paxton, passing to Steve Kerr. 
Who is the Steve Kerr and John Paxson for Joel Embiid? That's my question. Uh, I think you need a higher level player than Steve Kerr and John Paxton, to be honest with you. But I see what you're saying. You need help. You need like, and, and McGarry was talking about this earlier. He said they need to find that third star. I think they need to upgrade their second star. Maxi should be the third guy, really. And then the second guy is the guy who should be upgraded. And look, they got to do something with Tobias Harris. You got to upgrade that position. Sports Bash live 97.3 ESPN. Now, Smash on 97.3 ESPN. <laughs> All right, uh, Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. You know, Memorial Day weekend is next weekend. Holy mackerel. Sports Bash is uh, getting ready for the summertime. We got a lot of stuff to do. We got tickets for Shane Gillis. He'll be here this summer at Ocean Casino, the comedian. Uh, July 15th. Tickets are on sale now, but I got a pair to give away. Happy hour Friday. Let us know what you're having this weekend. Give me a good suggestion. We got some good ones this week. Last week, not so good. This week, much better. Much better job. We're in a much better mood after the Sixers uh, lost last week. We were on that Friday, and they were going into game seven, and we were like, uh-oh, this doesn't seem good. 609 403 0973 609-403-0973. Uh, the hardened blame and scapegoating over the top. The reason the Sixers can't win is because they don't have a closer in the playoffs. You thought Embiid could be a closer, but six playoffs later, he's not a closer. So did Michael Jordan, was he not a closer in all his playoff losses before he won a championship? Apparently Michael Jordan was a loser every year, right? Yeah. Uh, see, I, I don't understand how people think like this guy. If you just don't like Embiid, fine. You don't like Embiid. But to not acknowledge that the team is not good enough. You're saying the hard and blame game and scapegoating is over the top. I blamed Embiid more than everybody. You don't want to acknowledge when you don't like what you hear, you try to say something. I blamed Embiid more than anybody else. He is number one on my list. People like you want to blame the coach. I don't blame the coach. It's Joel Embiid's team. He gets the most blame. There's no hardened blame. There's no hardened scapegoating. The reason they lost that game is because Joel Embiid, the best player on the team, was not good enough. He didn't demand the ball, and he came up small. Now, I don't think that that's who Embiid is. I think that's who Harden is, though. I think we found this out about Harden long ago. So if you don't want to blame Harden, fine. I'm not blaming Harden. I'm blaming Embiid. But you want to blame Embiid more because you don't like the guy. That's fine. You don't like Embiid, fine. I don't care if you like Joel Embiid. I think he's kind of fun to watch, and I think he has the ability to lead this team to a championship. However, you said six playoff years. Find me a guy. Not LeBron James, not Michael Jordan, not Kevin Durant. They didn't lead their teams to championships in six years. Nobody called them losers. You know who the loser is? The guy who sent that text. Because he's a clueless clown. It's happy hour Friday. Lay off the sauce, everybody. You, you're a loser because you lost in six playoffs. Most of these guys' careers don't begin until six playoffs. Get a clue. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. You know it's all about the Five o'clock hour, Sports Bash happy hour Friday. Everybody, a happy hour Friday. Hello to you. Mike Gill with you till the top of the hour. 
We've got uh, game two tonight, Heat and Celtics. Game two in Boston. Of course, the Jimmy Butler tour continues of him just taking names. Jimmy Butler and the Heat taking on Jason Tatum and the Celtics. Two guys that uh, have killed the Sixers. Butler in one way by basically leaving the team, saying, I don't want to be here anymore. And then causing all these Heat Sixers fans to say, well, what if we had that guy? And then Tatum scoring 51 on in Game 7 and completely ripping their heart out of their chest. So uh, this is a tough series to watch for Sixers fans. Of the four teams remaining, who would you like to see win a championship? You know, I saw this up over uh, ESPN.com, I think, uh, or ESPN's Twitter account uh, posted this out. I was going to read this off today. Um, which would you rather have happen? Okay, these were your choices. LeBron wins ring number five. Jimmy Butler wins his first ring. Tatum wins his first ring. Or Jokic wins his first ring. What would you rather see happen? And I don't know that I want to see any of those things happen. I think the lesser of the three of the four evils uh, would be either LeBron winning number five because then you really have the chase for him. Not that it, I mean, Michael won six. He was six and oh. Right. But at least LeBron could say, hey, I have six as well. And if you really want to get people to go crazy, you know what I will say about LeBron? I'm always a Jordan guy. I think Jordan's the greatest player I ever saw. That's not crazy to say. I will say this LeBron at this advanced age is better than Michael was at this advanced age. You agree with that? He's way better. Yeah. He's, he's, get, he's bringing more to the table. I think Jordan had two things going against him that LeBron has done very better, much better. One, Jordan retired twice and came back. LeBron stayed with the game. And I think that reps are important with anything in life. The more you do something, the the easier it is for you to continue to get better and excel at it. The second thing is I think LeBron has done an amazing job at taking care of his body. And there's all kinds of famous stories of Jordan, you know, Drinking and gambling until early in the morning. Like I was reading, um, what, what was the who, the dream? You ever read the Dream Team book by um, the guy who used to write for Sports Illustrated? I forget the name of my head, but the, the stories in there about how Jordan would be gambling all night long with the guys in Spain, and then he would get an hour nap. And then go out for a, a photo shoot for M- the NBA's promotional package. Then he'd take a long, short nap before the game. And he'd go out and score 25 and get 10 assists. Like, you have to think that the way Jordan ran his life took a toll on him near the end. And LeBron has never done that. LeBron has never been the guy who, you know, spent crazy amounts of time till early in the morning than playing the next day. He's been much more vigilant. And he's taking care of his body. Yeah, well, listen, uh, LeBron at this age, it looks like he can keep going for another three to four to five years maybe. You're wondering, you keep asking yourself, when is he actually going to slow down? He hasn't slowed down at all. But, yeah, Jordan leaving the game, coming back, and, you know, and then at that, you know, at the end of his career going to Washington, mm-hmm. where he was still scoring pretty much, but he wasn't an impactful player. He wasn't consistent with he, it either. Well, no, and, and look, LeBron – uh, went to L.A., he's in an advanced age, and he's still leading them to the playoff. Now, he has a better team around them than Michael did with the Wizards. They were terrible. That's true. Yeah, but Kwame Brown. Michael was not taking the Wizards teams to the playoffs. Yeah, and the thing with LeBron is, is you know, I, I was looking at Jordan when he was with the Wizards. 
I always make this analogy, Mike, and I'm going to use a guy that you like. It reminded me of Roger Clemens near the end of his career. Clemens would have those games where you're just like, holy Toledo, Batman. Roger Clemens had like 12, 14 strikeouts. But the next game he had like five strikeouts and give up four runs. Um, yeah, I mean, I was a big Clemens fan, by the way. So, you know, Clemens, even like at the end when he was with the Astros, was still dominant at times. Right. Well, at times. And that's my point. It was like, you know, Clemens would have that game, like when the Astros went to the playoffs, and he would reach back for like that one more game. And you're like, there's the rocket we remember. That's what I felt with Jordan with the Wizards. Like, Jordan would have a stretch of games where he would score like 15, 17 points, and then he'd have like 45 yeah. out of nowhere. Uh, a couple text messages. Harden's had some massive playoff games. He's an 82-game player. That's from uh, Rain and Galloway. Yeah, Harden's had some massive playoff games, but they've generally come in games one through five. The closeout game six or seven to get the team over the hump is where he has. I'm not saying Harden hasn't had like I just gave you in beads. Had somebody brought this up. Um, uh, Lefferts in, in Pleasantville says, "Hey, Mike, Chris from Absecon." He may have been pedestrian in Bede, but do you remember those last couple seconds in that Game 7? The steal and dunk would have sent him to overtime if Kawhi doesn't hit that shot. The game, oh, he's talking about Butler. No, wait, the game was a play-by-play game, and he shined when it mattered, and Bede would have been the best player, not Butler. Yeah, the Game 7 against Toronto, and Bede was the best player on the floor for Philadelphia, not Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, look, I love Butler, He's one of my top five players. We talked about this. Jimmy Butler failed the Sixers. All right, people are loving Jimmy this, Jimmy that, Jimmy that. Jimmy Butler failed the Sixers. He was here. He had his chance to do his thing. And he came up small in game seven. Period, point blank. Revisionist history if you want because Jimmy's having the playoffs of his life right now. But he did not play well for the Sixers in that series against Toronto, right? I mean, the game seven against Toronto, Jimmy Butler failed the Sixers. Period, point blank. He's been great in these playoffs, but that's not act like we got this Jimmy Butler. We didn't get this Jimmy Butler. If we did get this Jimmy Butler, guess what? They probably would have won that series. Ryan Rothstein is back for the happy hour Friday here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, we got a lot to dive into here on our happy hour Friday. Happy hour Friday is supposed to be a good time. It's supposed to be fun. But I have a feeling we have a lot of uh, bad stuff to start digging at. What do you got? You got a bad connection is what it seems that you got there. All right, well, we'll try to do what we can. I, I, I don't... Uh, I don't like, uh, you got me? No, he got bad connection. Bad connection. I'm going to have to do the phone there. Get him on the phone and, and go that route. Um, all right. So what we can get into that. Um, he goes, Butler going tonight. The, the, the options were this. Um, uh, Butler get his first ring. I, I certainly don't want it to be Tatum. I don't care about Tatum one bit. I don't like Tatum. I think he uh, cries too much. He's a great player, but he's certainly not in my five. I don't care if Tatum ever wins a ring. And, of course, it's Boston. I don't want to see Boston win another title. The heck with that. So Tatum is definitely last on my list. Jokic, uh, Jokic I like. I, I like Jokic. His game is awesome. I just don't want to hear the whole Jokic wins a championship and Embiid can't do it because I don't think that's the case. Jokic has failed as much as he's succeeded. I mean, uh 
Jokic has failed at plenty. So the same guy who will text in and saying Embiid is fails, Jokic fails as well, right? Jokic has failed plenty of times. Is Jokic the closer? Because they keep failing. Um, Jokic has had how many chances at winning the championship? Is he a failure? Is he a, can he close? So you, everybody, this is my point. If you don't like Embiid, don't just single Embiid out then. Because I have said many, 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 many times, Embiid right now has failed. He has failed, he has failed, he has failed. People don't want to acknowledge that because they think I like Embiid. And I do like Embiid. Doesn't mean I can't be critical of Embiid. He has failed this team. But if you're going to sit here and blame Embiid, I'll ask the question. You like Jokic? Can he? Is he a closer? Can he win a title? We're about to find out, but he hasn't done it yet either. How many cra- How many times has Denver been in the playoffs with uh, with Jokic? All right, Ryan Rothstein is here. Uh, I don't know if you were listening to what I was saying earlier, uh, but we got a lot to discuss, obviously, over the last uh, week or so. I know it was your birthday, so happy birthday to you. That's why he wasn't on to rap with us earlier in the week. But where do you? Where would you like to start with the mess that we have now? I, my goodness, dude. I mean, first of all, uh, it's nice to be back. Thank you for the birthday wishes and shout out to Josh, of course. Birthday's the day before mine, but now to the important stuff. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, listen, I can, I can pick up that conversation that you were having. There's so many areas and angles we can, you know, I'm sure you and I could spend hours on. So, you know, direct me. Direct this convo. Where, where do you want us to start? Well, I didn't know what you heard from me and what you didn't. I saw you in the stream, yeah. but you were like, I couldn't tell if you were frozen or not. So I don't know what you heard. I, that you I like heard, to- I heard the but. You know, you're talking about Jimmy Butler. You're talking about uh, Sixers didn't get that version of Jimmy, and uh, he failed. Um, you know, I, I I agree with that to a degree, but after everything we've seen now with the Sixers, and I don't really want to make this too much about Butler, although he's part of the Sixers story briefly. um, You can't really say it's Butler's fault. You know, not that we have to, uh, you know, place blame or fault, but the Sixers have been a consistent model of inconsistency and failure. Butler had a brief stint here where he had, you know, a little part in that, but he leaves still the same story before he got here still the same story right so it's like is it butler's fault there that he failed or is it the other guys aka Embiid, and the rest of the crew um well i i'm not like my point is this i'm tired of seeing every night he goes off in the playoffs while the sixers had him they chose x over butler yeah, they had Jimmy Butler and he failed them. He was here. He wasn't this, he wasn't playoff Jimmy here. He scored 16 points in the final game. He had a chance to take this team out of the second round and he couldn't do it. So that's enough already with the, hey, we had this guy and we let him walk. There's not anybody uh, out there. Okay? Yeah. But I mean, listen, you can't, I mean, he's taken this team on historic runs now multiple years and. Well, part of the, the great, is, the part of the yeah. thing with Butler that I think is the amazing story. This goes back to the whole thing. Butler was here. They chose whoever they chose. You can ask five different people. Someone will say they chose Ben over him. Someone else would say they chose Tobias over him. Somebody else told me yesterday, well, really, they chose Al Horford over him. And then somebody else said, hey, they wanted to stick with Brett Brown over him. Whoever it was, they chose over Jimmy. For whatever reason, 
Butler didn't want to be here. It wasn't they chose someone over him. Butler didn't want to be here. He, the perception is that they chose someone over him. Now, he could say, Tobias over me. No, it wasn't Tobias over him. They could have re-signed both of those guys. Jimmy didn't want to play with Ben Simmons. So well, that's part of the choice. I mean, listen, it wasn't like The Bachelor where it was a rose and, you know, you had one rose left and it's Tobias and Jimmy standing there. But, you know, it's all encompassing, right? Like you can make a choice without a direct choice being made, if that makes sense. Like, did they decided to part ways with Jimmy? If they went to Jimmy and said, dude, tell us what you want. Right? I mean, I'm sure they could have figured out a way to keep them, but they didn't really try. They didn't really want to go down down that road. Well, and I agree. Like, some of it was, look, there was all incumbent. Like, some of it was, look, Jimmy's not the easiest guy to deal with, right? And I think the organization was like, look, this guy's 30 years old. He's good, but he's not the guy. They didn't see this Jimmy Butler because guess what? They didn't get this Jimmy Butler. If they got and Mike, Mike, let's also throw in here. Not sorry to cut you off, but that is pre Ben Simmons clown show at its peak. Yes. So whether you hated Ben or loved Ben at the time or not, like we didn't know we were going to end up with Harden and aging Harden as our best chance, right? If we knew what we knew then, now that decision's a lot easier. Right. Well, that's the thing. At that time. Ben Simmons is 22 years old. He's been a multiple-time All-Star. He's Defensive Player of the Year candidate. He's all-NBA first-team defense. You're not picking a 30-year-old guy who, by the way, just failed, showed up, showed up small in Game 7 of the playoffs. You're thinking, huh, we're going to pick a 30-year-old guy who just showed us that he's good but not great in the playoffs, or a 22-year-old kid who's been a multiple-time All-Star, Defensive Player of the Year candidate, two-time first-team All-NBA defense. No team in the league is taking the 30-year-old guy who scored 16 points in Game 7. No, exactly. And, you know, listen, man, screw Jimmy Butler for a second, right? Like, let's let's get to the heart of this problem here. I, I mean, I, I heard you talking about Joel Embiid. I, I mean, where, where are we at with this dude now? And there's so much to layer off of that question. Where are we at with Embiid? Where is he at? Where does where's the team at? I think I know those answers, but I don't know if I'm okay with them. All right, well, that's a good question. Where are you on to be? Because I know that you have been kind of uh, at wise rye saying, let's criticize him. Let's think about getting rid of this guy. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think he's absolved of criticism. I think people have been critical of Joel. I think some people are getting to that point with, okay, I've seen this, and I'm wondering if this is the best. Um, I'm not there yet. I think Embiid, look, I said, if I'm watching, there's another thing I can't stand is watching Jokic and then saying, well, how could you pick Joel to be the MVP over Jokic? It's a regular season award. Jokic is not a great defensive player. Joel is a two-way player. He led the league in scoring. Whatever happens in the playoffs is a completely different thing. So the MVP has nothing to do with what you're watching right now. That said, mm-hmm. Jokic to me, the difference is he has better basketball intuition. Yep. And I don't know you sometimes you just don't have that intuition. It's not something that you can learn. Yeah. You either have it or you don't. And last night, Jokic didn't have a great game. He scored 23 points, but he had a big impact because they defended him differently. By the way, he was horrible defensively. Hachimura was lighting him up. He had like 20 points on him in the first quarter of that game. Yep. 17 points in 14 minutes Hachimura has. So 
That being said, Jokic understands, hey, tonight's not my night, but I can still make an impact. And he is, to me, the guy that got Murray going. The problem for Embiid is he ain't got Murray. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think you hit a lot of nails on the head there, right? Like, one being Jokic and his overall basketball IQ, right? Like, that is a big deal. <laughs> like, And that is a nice way of saying Jokic is a better basketball player, right? It doesn't mean that he's more skilled than or he's more talented than, more athletic than, even more impactful than Joel Embiid. But you can be a better basketball player than someone and not be as talented. So I mean, yeah, I think I think both of this way. I think Jokic is a just a savvier player. He does more yes. with less. Embiid yes, exactly. does more with more. I mean, he he is physically he does less more with more. <laughs> well, I, I'm just saying he's a bigger guy. Yeah. He's more physically imposing. I think the difference is Jokic isn't as quick. He's a big dude, but he's not as big as Embiid is. Um, but he's just he's a savvier player, whatever that is. Does that make him better? I don't care. Maybe he is better. Maybe he's not. He's not obviously he's not a better defensive player. He's horrible defensively. But nobody cares about what you do on defense when you score thirty five points, grab seventeen rebounds, and dish out you know fifteen assists. Everybody looks at your offensive numbers. If Joel had that uh, had a triple double lines, but was terrible defensively, I don't know. Would we care here? Yeah, I, I don't know, why, but I don't know what that would look like, right? Like, I, I, well, I know what it's there. looked like. I know what it's looked like for yeah. Denver for five years. When first well, Jokic has been in the playoffs five times, it hasn't looked uh, like a championship to them. No, no, exactly. But you know, I, I'm not watching Denver as closely in, in throughout their five year playoff run as obviously I am with the Sixers. But you know, watching Denver, you say, all right. I, I see this style of play. I like this style of play. And it's a DNA that you feel like can you know, translate to an NBA championship. Now, being closer to the Sixers situation and, and knowing in great detail each and every playoff year's failure and what it encompassed, you say to yourself, this is what I say to myself at least, I do not believe this is a recipe for a championship, and I and that is also with the understanding of this version may not even be at its best, but at its best, is it good enough? And I, I believe now, at this point, it, the answer to that question is no, and that's the problem. Well, here's the thing, okay, and I know hypotheticals or whatever, but they, they literally were two and a half minutes from beating that Boston team. If they would have won that game, would we say they are good enough to win a championship? I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I listen, if they win game six, do I feel a whole heck of a lot better about this team? Yeah. You know, you and do, then but, you, but that's what I'm saying. So uh, do we just bail because you couldn't close that last two and a half minutes out? But realistically, I mean, you make a couple shots. You do. You're, you're, you're better than that team, right? Yeah, but it, it's it's that easy, but it's not like it, it's just. This is a six-year sample size. This is a six-year body of work. And, like, you can say that about anything, right? Like, I get your point, and it's valid, but I also sit here and say that collapse and your failure to close out that series is a big problem, right? There are small changes that could have been made that changed okay, the Okay, well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. And I don't know where you're going to go with this because I, I, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by this. Okay, we were right there. We had a coach 
who has not been able to close the deal. We keep the same guys. We were right there. Let's bring in a different coach that maybe can close that game out. Listen, unless it's Phil Jackson or Red Arbuck, I don't give a damn. <laughs> I mean, you know, and we've debated about the coach over the years, right? Like, I've heard, hold I, on. First of all, so today I've converted Mike McGarry comes to my side about NBA coaches, and now I've got you. No, you know, listen, Doc did a good job this year. I've been saying it all year. You know, Doc's, Doc did a really nice job, you know, at least for what I thought of him pre, pre-year this year, but... I look at I look at this year. I look at the job Doc did. I look at what Joel Embiid was doing at his best. I look at this team at its best, and it's inexcusable. I do not believe bringing in Nick Nurse or JJ Redick or Monty Williams all of a sudden now all of the huge issues and the elephants in the room of character flaws, leadership flaws, uh, effort like issues, all of those things that are bigger than basketball, like I. There's no there's no coach on this planet that can just erase all of those issues and th- those are the issues that I've that I've placed right in front of my face, Mike. All right, so I guess then then the following question we'll get into coming up on the other side is with all that said, coach this that, what do they do with Joel uh, with um, James Harden because Harden opting out. But Maury said scenario A is to bring him back. Scenario B, if he walks, well, we have the tools to do things. I don't know that they have those tools. So where do they go from here? We'll discuss that. You guys can text in 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. It's a sports bash. By the way, uh, somebody said, has Joel ever had nine assists? Yeah, he's had many triple doubles. I mean, come on. What kind of question is that? Uh, and we just got done saying, I don't know if you, your ears are clogged. Uh, Jokic is a much better passer, much better intuition, a savvier offensive player. Nobody's debating that. Nobody's debating that. Why do you have to try to, like, we agree with you and you're like, trying, it's like you've already made the sale. Stop trying to sell us. Yeah, we, we don't need the luxury package. Stop <laughs> upselling us. We've already bought that. Jokic is a better, is a savvier, more well-rounded offensive player than Joel is. You don't need to tell us to wake up. We admitted that way back like seven months ago. We're Sports Bash coming up, 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, 5.30, Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Ryan Rothstein's with me till the end of the show. Looking at some Sixers stuff a week after the loss. This time last week, it was uh, the loss after Game 6. They lost Game 7 on Sunday. They fired Doc Rivers on Tuesday. And now reported today that James Harden's going to re-sign with Houston. It hasn't happened yet. I think there's a lot to dig into this one. Plus, they're going to interview Nick Nurse. So, Harden, what do we do with Harden here? Scenario A, they want to bring him back. Scenario B, we want to let him walk. What scenario do you like better? I don't know, man. It's all, it's all, it's all bad. I, like, I'm fine with letting them walk, right? But then, what's next? And and that's the question that I can't answer, and none of us can answer. I mean, even if he comes back, I, I like him walking because here's where I'm at right now with this team, and it's not really a direct shot at Harden at all. I I, I don't know where this team would have been without him in the playoffs this year, but. I know what they are with him, so I'm fine with letting him walk, especially if Embiid's 
inevitably returning. All right. Well, <laughs> this is where it's tough. I mean, put it this way. Harden basically got you to a game seven. He had two games that if you don't have Harden, you're not even getting to a game seven without him. So it's hard to say, all right, just let him walk. And then what's the team look like? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question. They don't have, a, he said, we have tools that will use. I don't know what tools they have. I don't know how you can improve the team if you just let Harden walk. You can't have a year where you just completely waste a Joel Embiid, you know, I guess he's age 29 or 30 season. So this whole thing has put you in a really rough spot. Here's the problem. Two things I read here from the Pompeii conversation, the the news today, and the news that was broken two days ago that he wants to opt out. And he wants to go to a competitive roster, and he wants to have basketball freedom. Well, is Houston a competitive roster? No, I mean, they're competing for the quickest to Cancun. I, I don't know what they're competitive in. Well, is Philadelphia a competitive roster? Yeah, they're a playoff team, yeah. Does, does he have basketball freedom in Philly? Uh, well, here's the thing. does He he was in Brooklyn with Odoku for a little while. Does, does he have basketball freedom? They got a lot of good young players there, guys who, you know, um, that scored 20 points a game down there as young first. They have a second overall pick, a third overall pick. I mean, is he, is the coach, uh, Ime Adoka going to want to, uh, uh, restrict those guys now? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I get it for a year or two. You, you try and sell some more tickets, get a big name with a, a young group. Um, you know, but you, you try and let Harden lead those guys and what he does and his work ethic and how he pre- prepares. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. It's a little bit of a weird move for well, for Houston. Okay, well, Harden. you asked you asked the follow up question: Does he have basketball freedom in Philly? Well, I don't know. I don't know who the coach is. I can make sure he gets basketball freedom in Philly if I'm Daryl Morey. Can I? No, because Joel Embiid's here. So he doesn't have basketball freedom because you have to, even though they were successful as a duo, it Harden, that's not basketball freedom for Harden. Well, can I hire a coach? Can I hire a coach that prioritizes James Harden's offense? I don't, I don't know if that's what you want to do if you're Daryl Morey. I mean, if you have Joel Embiid here, it's just not realistic. Well, if I'm Daryl Morey, all my actions so far have said I'm prioritizing James Harden over Joel Embiid. Well, what actions? The firing of Doc? Fire Doc Rivers, right? Yeah. And so far, I mean, everything else has been, I'm the one who decided to fire. That's what uh, Maury said. It was my decision to fire Doc Rivers. Well, the reports were that Joel wasn't happy with it. So you were willing to piss off Joel to appease James? If that's true, if that's true, I mean... I'm not a conspiracy guy, but how do you how do we not know that's Maury behind closed doors saying, listen, I'm taking the brunt of this, dude. I'm taking the brunt of this. We can even put it out there to say you didn't agree with it. You're you're the good guy. You like Doc. I'm taking all the heat and all the questions regarding the coaches firing. There's no rumors of, you know, did Joel need a new coach, this and that. I mean, that's a possibility. That, is that not fair? Yeah, I mean, obviously, either side of the coin can be had here. If we don't believe Maury that it was his decision and the two stars went to him and said, get rid of this guy, you know, we want to well, move I on. Think it could have been his, I think it could have been his decision, but 
I'm saying he could be protecting his star a little bit in Embiid, saying, like, I'm, I'm going to say it's all me. Like, you know, you don't even have to get questioned about this. You're on the other side of the fence if anyone asks. All right, well, if you're going by what they said then, yes. it sounds like they've prioritized keeping James Harden over making Joel Embiid happy. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, yeah. can I hire Mike D'Antoni and say, I need to bring in a guy who's going to give James Harden basketball freedom? Yeah, absolutely. But then let's keep this assumption, right? Like, what if Embiid doesn't want that? And what if Embiid doesn't want Harden to have basketball freedom or Harden to have a bigger role or the role? Well, or that guy, goes back right? to... That goes back to what if James? Uh, what if Joel didn't want Doc fired and they didn't seem to care? Right. So I mean, what if Joel doesn't? What if Joel yeah. doesn't want uh, Mike D'Antoni and they don't seem to care? Goes back to are they prioritizing? Is Daryl Morey, who has a history with James Harden, obviously is he prioritizing his boy over the franchise player? Uh, he might be, and I tell you what, if he is, I'm okay with it. If he is, like, maybe Maury's trying, what if Maury is trying to piss off Joel Embiid, and he's trying to get Embiid to demand a trade? Yeah, that's what I suggest. Is is he trying to, and then he demands a trade, and then they say, well, Joel's the one that asked for the trade. We don't want right. to trade him. Exactly. Is that exactly. where, but, and that's, and then, then that's what I brought up earlier in the week. Is that where it's getting to where we never heard anything about Ben Simmons? Ben was drafted here. Ben loved it here. It was there. Then all of a sudden, Ben wants to leave. Wait, what? Uh, ben doesn't mm-hmm. want to be here. What? What? Ben doesn't want to show up. He's not going to, you know, are we, are we, do we think that that's a possibility with Joel? I, I would be, I would be impressed if that's the play from Maury and the Sixers because. So you're saying you would rather them push and beat out and keep Harden? Correct. 100%. I don't know that I, I, I can't get on board with that. Are we excited? Are we excited for Embiid to come back as the guy and there's just marginal moves once again? There's another DeAnthony Melton type of signing. There's no young talent. Tobias is back. I, I mean, dude, that team's not it. Embiid is not going to lead this team to a championship as the guy. So I'd rather a radical. No, uh, I, I listen. What, what they need, like, here's a couple things in my mind. You just said it. Embiid, can he lead the team as the guy? I don't know. Same with Jokic. I don't know that Jokic leads them because he's the guy, but I think it, Jokic could be the guy because he has a Murray. The question, I guess, becomes: Is Maxi the Murray? I, I don't. I don't think it's apples to apples, though. That's where you and I, I think, differ. I, I, I feel like I've seen enough. I, I like. I am not. I am not for kicking this can down the road. And can Maxi evolve? Can Harden flourish another year? Right. Like, I, I just. I'm out, dude. I, I do not. I'm not. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying what anyone's selling there with Embiid coming back as the guy. I, I don't think his style cultivates a championship where Jokic does. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, it's, it's definitely, I, I don't see that possibility shaking out, but if it's, if it's, uh, me either. <laughs> well, know. I mean, I will say this. I said, I don't see it, but I also see the actions 
pointing in a direction that could lead me there. Right now, yeah, there's just a lot, a lot more road in front of us. So there's so much speculation where, yeah, it's fair of us to say it could be an option. With all the road, um, there's six candidates for the job. Do you have a clear number one, and do you have a hierarchy? Do you have a ranking? (sighs) Man, like, once again, I'm not trying to avoid any questions here or, or not deliver an answer, but the conversation and back and forth that you and I just had is a part of this where there's so much we don't know, right? Is Harden the guy? Are they making it a priority to keep him? Are they not? Are they trying to get him beat happy? Are they not? Right. Just if we just make it more vanilla and say, all right, who's the guy that we really want? I think Monty Williams is a great, you know, a great option. And I think Nick nurse who wanted an NBA championship is, is a great option on that list. I love JJ Redick. But I think it would be a fool's errand to bring him in here as head coach. Yeah, I don't see him. I mean, he was the Vegas favorite. I don't know how that happened because he's not even a candidate. Yeah, I mean, you just continue to hear his name. And I know, you know, listeners and fans are going to bring his name up as well. But, yeah. Um, Here's an interesting text, okay? Okay. Um, Is it as simple as Jokic's two more years experience than Joel in the league? They were drafted. They were drafted in the same draft class. Jokic played two extra years because Joel was hurt. Joel Embiid just won the MVP of the NBA. What are we saying? He's not ready. Well, no, because this is and and the, the the I think the text has merit, and I brought this up earlier because keep this in mind. Joel has played very very little organized basketball. I know he's been in the NBA now. He's the MVP of the league. He has obvious, just raw, unbelievable talent. But it goes back to he doesn't have a lot of basketball experience. Jokic has been playing the game a lot longer than he has. He played as a kid. He grew up playing in Europe. That's not going to change in a year, though. I don't know that. You're right. But that's the question was, hey, Jokic has, look, has two ex- Right. Giannis Antetokounmpo is a guy that was very raw, just was using his strength and brute force, and then he kind of, like, understood the game a little bit better. I would say this. Jokic has been to the playoffs five times. He has disappointed five times. Will this be the year he finally gets over the hump? I I don't know that. I mean, right now it looks pretty good for them. But he does have two extra years of NBA experience. Could Joel, can the game, can that intuition, can that, that, I don't know. I have no idea. But I think it's a fair question that the guy asked. Yeah, I, I mean, I do not believe that to be the case where, you know what, in a year or two he's going to be, uh, and this you is, know. This is why I would say I disagree, not wholeheartedly, but a little bit. Joel has come a long way as a passer in the last two seasons, has he not? Uh, y- yes. Okay. Yes. So if he continues to evolve that part of his game a year or two from now, can he get even better, or has he hit his ceiling as a passer? Because I think I, he is just scratching the surface as a – I thought in game seven, in the first half, he did a really good job of seeing the double, getting the ball to P.J. Tucker. They moved the ball. Tucker's hitting the three. The second half, for whatever godforsaken reason, James Harden decided to put the ball in a yo-yo and killed the team. <laughs> 
I, I think there's room for marginal improvement for Embiid as a passer, but he's never going to be Jokic. He's never going to be a floor general. He's never going to be making, you know, seeing plays before they happen. He's someone that can improve as his scoring and threat as a scorer improves. And if he passes out of doubles quicker, you know, he can get a little bit better. Well, I guess the question would be, see, this goes back. I think if Embiid is Embiid and he gets a little bit better progressively or a lot better or, or medio, moderately better, uh, to me, like, I don't think they win because Jokic is hands down winning them the championship. I think Jokic needs another guy. They have another guy. I think the Sixers need to get another guy. And it's like the Iverson thing. They were never able to get Iverson the other guy. And now they're going through it with Embiid where they can't get him the other guy. Uh, yeah, once again, I think they need the guy. What, what did <laughs> what did Embiid do this year that we were like, wow, in the playoffs? Um, Seen two games. Embiid did he win him any games in the second round? I will say I agree that these playoffs were not his signature moments. No, and I mean the Nets series was. So tough. when is that going to come? It's been six seasons. Well, we like I said, the Nets the, the Nets series was tough because of the way they played him. I, I mean, okay. Right? I, I, listen, the first round series you're referring to? Yeah, I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I will say game five, he had a pretty monster game. He scored 33 points in game five. He had a big game. He had a big game uh, in game five. But, like. Well, I went back. To, and, by the way, I went back to the Hawks series earlier today. And in that series against the Hawks, I mean, he scored 40, 39. I mean, he had, like, 37 or more in four games or something like that. Yeah, he was averaging over 30 a game. He was great. Um, yeah, the series I, against the Hawks, let me just bring it up real fast so that I'm not, like, misquoting myself here. Cause yeah, what did he do game seven? He had 37. Okay. 37 points, 13 rebounds, five assists, two steals, and four blocks. He was pretty yeah. good. He was great, yeah. Yeah, well, that was a game seven. Game seven, he had 31 points, 11 rebounds, three assists, a steal, a block, the problem was he had eight turnovers. There you go. But he did have 30, 31 points and 11 rebounds. The game against, in the Hawks game, he had 40 points and 13 rebounds, 39 points and 9 rebounds, 37 points and 13 rebounds, 31 points, 11 rebounds in a game seven, 34 points, 8 rebounds, uh, 9 rebounds and 8 assists he had in a game again. So that Hawks series, he brought it in that series. He did. You're right. He did. You know, and that. But then, how do they? They. But how do we? Ben Simmons was historically bad. We talked about this before. If Ben Simmons yeah. hits fifty percent of his threes, they sweep that series because Embiid just absolutely dominated. He dominated, but then you say, "All right, Ben Simmons is clearly the problem there." But I'm not. I'm not completely taking everything away from Embiid. But the eight turnovers in a game seven on your home floor is a problem. That like that that that's just the reality in a closeout game in a game seven deep in the playoffs second round you're trying to get to the final four like you can't turn the ball over almost ten times. Oh that's no, listen the eight the eight the, the the eight uh, and even the five he had in the series in the game against Boston it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Yeah, and, and that that's a by Atlanta. It was eight turnovers. Eight. He had back-to-back games with eight turnovers. In game five, he had five turnovers. Right? Like that's that's recklessness. And he's cleaned that up a little bit. Um, but that he just doesn't deliver. And it's also, 
I've said this in the past, Mike. I don't even think it's all his fault. What was um, in yeah. the Atlanta series? What do you have? The torn meniscus. I'm not, so, I'm not making yeah. it. I'm just trying to remember because no, 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 one, I know. Yeah, one of the I, series I, he had the broken face and the torn. Last year. He had the torn thumb ligament. Was that against Miami last year? Yeah. Yeah. So he had the torn thumb and the broken orbital bone against Miami. And then against Atlanta, he had the torn meniscus. Yep. So, yeah, I mean. And his injury history, it's, you know, now that you bring that up. That's also an important part of this conversation as well, his availability. That's great. Like, by the way, going back to that land, I'm looking again. He had 39, 40, 27, 17, 37, 22, and 31. I mean, he had a monster series against them guys. Um, last year against Miami, 18, 24, 17, and 20. He, he was pedestrian in that series last year. So. No, has not had the, the the Atlanta series. He did bring it, um, but has not been impactful. Every other second round series, I would say he was he was bad for his standard. Yes, the Boston series, he played Boston in way back in 2018. That when they lost in when they lost in what in Game Five, right? He had 31, 20, 22, 15, and 27. In that game, uh, the game that they got eliminated, he had 27 points, 12 rebounds. Yeah, not good enough. I, listen, I'll be the first to tell you it hasn't been good enough, but we're going back to um, whether or not, you know, he can – that was one of the things Maury said. Can he keep improving? You know, he's saying, hey, in-house guys improvement. That's something they're banking on. So I got to run. Good conversation. All right. <laughs> I'm not happy. I'm not happy with this team and its direction. We'll sleep on it this weekend. We'll get back on the we'll get back on the horse uh, maybe Monday. All right, man. All right, Ryan Rossi, happy birthday, man. Um, well, you hung right up on me. How about that? He's not happy. All right, we're gonna close out Happy Hour Friday. We got the Shane Gillis tickets as well. Someone will be contacted after the show. Let me know what you're drinking this weekend. Let me know what you're having. Give me a good suggestion. Give me a good suggestion. As soon as I leave here, I'm going to go get my happy hour Friday started. My man. More Sports Bash coming up. 97.3 ESPN. Now, back Sports Bash on 97.3 SPN. Happy hour Friday. Yes, indeed. We're closing out a Sports Bash happy hour Friday show. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you played along. Hopefully you had a little fun. You got about a minute or so to send me a text with your happy hour Friday choice. I got that cane earlier that guy texted in. That might be my selection. Somebody actually sent another one in. Man, that was a while back, though. He, he sent me a... I like the guys who send the pictures so I can see the can. The can is helpful. You're big on the visual. Well, I mean, this way, when I go to the store, you know it's easier it. to find the can. This guy, here he is, George. A double broken, hazy IPA from New Trail. Double broken sounds interesting. Double broken. He sends me the picture. He sends me the can poured into the glass. I hope you've been watching my beer reviews. For those of you out there, I got a lot of great feedback on the beer reviews. I'll have a couple more this weekend. So check them out at Mike Gill Show. You can always uh, hit me up over there. You got any happy hour Friday uh, plans? Uh, my plans only start the weekend. It is the weekend. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get through tonight. I got stuff to do tonight. And then once I'm done with tonight, weekend, baby. Let's Double go. broken. Trail, new trail brewing. Oh, 4.3 on the untapped. I got to get this beer. Where do you get this beer, dude? 
Yo, hit me up. Oh, gee. It's a 9.2. <laughs> Double Broken Heels. Hazy IPA. It's a 4.3 on out of 5 on Untapped from my friends who have drank it. And 14,000 reviews. 4.14. It's out of Williamsport, PA. So they're serving it to the kids at the Little League World Series. <laughs> <laughs> that's Don't do that, guys. Say. Don't do that. All right, that's it for me. Mike, I'm drinking a Sam Adams Wicked Hazy for Boston. The Celtics deserve a chip to make progress every year. I trust their process. And I don't like a Sam Adams. Get out of here. <laughs> Have a great weekend, everybody.